0: It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only.
1: JCPenney, make it count.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger,
3: fresh for everyone. Two years ago, this team lost 15 in a row and they were the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> but just two years later, after John Fox was hired as head coach and instilled his system and his belief that this team could win, here they are in Super Bowl 38. So a huge play here for the Carolina offense. And it's this type of play in the fourth quarter with their team down, Jake Delhomme has been making all year long.
4: We were backed up, a couple of plays got stuffed.
3: Foster has come in as the running back. Muhammad and Crawler out wide, near side left, Steve Smith wide right.
5: Day one install. It's a go by, by Moose, it's a dig by Steve, and it's an under by
3: Ricky. Here's the third and 10 call. Play action, the lone back to throw.
5: They play coverage and I get flushed a little bit to the left and next thing you know.
4: I had a go route. I said, I'm going to double move Ty Law because he's sitting on this out. Every time I run an out route, Ty Law is like sitting on my out routes. Take off the line of scrimmage and I hit the out route. I just gave him a little dead leg and a step to the out and he all over it.
5: Moose never stops running. He just keeps running and he throws his hand up in the air because he knows that they just let him go.
3: Nobody open. Now sets up. Oh, Deep downfield from
5: Muhammad, And then I let it go and knowing, oh gosh, we're going to catch it for a first down.
4: I'm so far down the field at this point. He just heaves the ball up in the air and it's up into the rafters. He's got it at the 30. He's to the 20. And then Moose
5: decides, yeah, no, we're going to score. And he just stiff arms.
3: Stiff arms attack.
4: Off to the sideline. Obviously, we took the lead at that point in the game, and I'm thinking to myself, "Can the clock run out any faster?" <laughs>
6: we have the defense that we can we can hold them, and you just felt like you were a step closer to your end goal, that goal that you have been dreaming of since you were a little kid.
7: We lived this all throughout the season, so when when Moose scored that touchdown the way he did, we're like, "Yeah, this this is
4: how it's supposed to be written, anyway." We're a cardiac cast We're gonna win this game.
3: Fires control in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Big hole! Down the sideline! He's gone! And the Panthers are gonna pull another one out of their hat! Dives towards the end zone! Touchdown! Fires over the middle. Is that intercepted? Yes! It is up! It is good! Panthers have won it in overtime! Smith at the 45 to the 40! It's the free! It's the 20, 10, 5! Touchdown! Woo! Yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl and we're in it!
4: cardiac
3: here's the third and ten call play action the back to throw nobody open now sets up oh, deep downfield from muhammad he's got it at the 30 he's to the 20 stiff arms a tackler. touchdown touchdown carolina <laughs> oh, oh my goodness 85 oh. yards
8: Moussin Muhammad's 85-yard touchdown catch gave the Panthers their first and only lead in a Super Bowl. But Carolina's championship fire was forged two seasons earlier from the embers of futility. Entering a 2003, the Panthers were less than a decade into their existence. Former Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski remembers a team that could not sustain its initial success. Well, obviously,
3: 95, they began in the beginning, They brought in, you know, a lot of vets, you know, Sam Mills, Willie Green, Brett Maxey. You go down the list of guys they brought in who had a lot of experience and were competitive. You know, lost their first five in 95 and then went on a four-game winning streak, beat the 49ers on the road. It was, you know, just a a good start for the team. And that set up 96 and, uh, you know, go to the NFC Championship game before losing at Green Bay. So those are the first two years. And then we kind of fall into the abyss
8: six straight seasons without a winning record followed
3: intercepted eric allen he's gonna take it to the house back to pass winky floats it oh who's he throwing it to it's picked off oh the ball fell loose it's picked up arizona's gonna run it back it's caught by owens Bricks a tackle at the 15 high steps it at the five touchdown 49ers fires over the middle and it's picked off winky however looks left and throws and it's picked off it's over uh, and the pain finally comes to an end, and it's been just a terrible season in the win-loss column for the Panthers. A lot of close games throughout the course of the year, but the Panthers could never win any of them.
8: Rock bottom hit in 2001. Wide receiver Steve Smith was in his rookie season. It wasn't the 1-15 that was tough. It was all the things
9: that transpired in the 1 to 15. You're talking about 9-11.
10: We're back with dramatic pictures. You're looking at the World Trade Center in lower Manhattan, where just a few minutes ago, we're told that a plane crashed into the upper floors of one of the Twin Towers.
9: September 5th, my daughter was born. So you're talking about a swing of emotions. It It was very interesting, personally for me. And then, let alone just professionally, as you had another bye week, you had... The towers going down, people unsure what to do. I remember 2001. A lot of the games, no one was there.
8: It was, it was nothing to come to the game too. It was it was tough. It was extremely
4: tough. Fellow wide receiver Musin Muhammad. It was a Tuesday morning, and we were looking at TV, and, and and my wife says, "Hey, something's going on up in New York. Some plane just ran into the Twin Towers." And we're sitting there, and, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, it was 9/11, right? It was it was the twin towers. It was you know, destruction in New York. It was the worst terrorist attack on our country. And I remember that, you know, NFL was contemplating canceling a bunch of games and all this stuff. And so it was totally disruptive. And so we came back after that game. We won the first game, and we lost 15 straight games. And you want to talk about one of the most miserable seasons. Just all the way around, it was just a, just a horrible year. And it was hard to leave your house. It felt like you were a prisoner in your own home. It was just one of the toughest things we ever went through. And so I went from, you know, seeing the highest of highs in 96 and coming out to the lowest of lows in 2001. And needless to say, you know, we endured it and we got through it. And, uh, and, we, and, we, and we moved on. A lost season still served up some hope.
2: Panthers team historian David Monroe. 2001, despite finishing 1-15, on that team, we had signed what ended up being the foundation for our offensive line. During the 2001 offseason, we signed left tackle Todd Stucey. In unrestricted free agency, we signed center Jeff Mitchell and guard Kevin Donnelly.
11: The reason they didn't really do well the year before was because they had all these sacks. The offensive line wasn't very good, but they bring in myself, Jeff Mitchell, and Todd Stucey. To bolster the offensive line in 2001, they let the quarterback go. So it's, you know, you, you try to solve parts of it by bringing in the offensive line to help set up Steve Berline in the offense that George Seifert wanted to run, and then uh, the quarterback's gone.
8: Quarterback Steve Berline departed after the 2000 season. Carolina fired its head coach, George Seifert, after 2001. Enter the 47 year old son of a Navy SEAL, John Fox
12: kind of a tight ship around the house. and You know, there's a lot of carryover. I'm not going to say they're the same, but, you know, kind of how a football team structured and, and organized and some of the same cultural things that are involved, you know, are involved in the military. Um, you know, all men created equal, you know, every guy's, uh, you know, a teammate. Um, you know, I think, so a lot of those concepts um, that relate to a locker room, you know, relate to a locker room in the military as well.
8: Former Panther defensive back turned radio analyst Eugene Robinson saw a change right away. The difference between Coach Fox and Coach Seifert, it was night and day.
13: When I played here in 2000, a little bit more superstitious, very pensive, and you never knew what he was thinking. You you never got an idea of what, what was
8: going on. You know, you didn't know where you stood. Tackle Jordan Gross entered the league as a rookie in 2003. John Fox was his first NFL head coach.
1: Foxy, real approachable guy. Um, not a maybe not a player's coach, but like not a. You know he didn't have a wall up. He he was always wanting to engage with the guys. Always had a cup of coffee almost all the time. Whenever we weren't at practice, um, and a chew in. That was like I just remember thinking like that's a lot of stimulants at once right there, bud.
12: You know, basically, I explained nobody's that bad. Nobody's 1-15 in, in the NFL. Either, you know, you stop trying, you use the word quit, uh, whatever you want to say, um, we're not that bad. And we're not going to be that bad moving forward. And um, I think they kind of understood and kind of believed me, to be honest with you. He
7: said anybody who lose 15 games in a row don't have nothing to say. So just shut up and just listen. And I promise you, if you do what I tell you to do
8: um, and you stay here, you'll be a champion. Man, that's all I needed to hear. The message resonated, not only with veteran DB Mike Minter, but also third-year defensive end Mike Rucker. I remember vividly he say, him saying, I
6: want guys that are smart and tough, smart and tough. The bell went off, was like, man, that's me. You know, I'm going to be where you asked me to be, and I'm going to be tough. That group of guys that was held over, Um, I felt like that was kind of the beginning as they
8: started to bring in their pieces. The culture change was evident to guard Kevin Donnelly.
11: From that moment on, everything's evaluated. How you walk around the building, how you interact with people, how you work in the weight room, how you do on the field, attitude, the energy you bring, every single little thing. And he was going to keep the guys that really did well. You know, when you have a 1-15 in season, there's probably means, too, it's the culture. I think he used the words, he's like, you know, there's going to be some guys on the team that are just, a holes that we got to get rid of. We, guys that are turds that just uh, don't need to be here. And it, it worked that first year. weren't a whole lot of roster changes.
12: Great bunch of guys. Didn't give up. Didn't quit. Uh, they took it. Spartanburg, South Carolina is not an easy place to you know go through two padded practices a day and survive. But I will say this: I thought you know we were a much tougher football team leaving that camp than we were going in.
11: A remarkable turnaround. 1-15 to 7-9 was a huge jump in 2002.
12: You know, I could see we were making progress. We weren't there yet, you know, uh, uh, but we had the right mindset and the the right grittiness to to go and win in the National
8: Football League. John Fox had been the defensive coordinator for the Giants. His philosophy was firmly rooted in ball control and defense. It meant star wideout Musin Muhammad would have to adjust.
4: I'm going from a West Coast offense where we're throwing the ball. I mean, I'm catching a bunch of balls. And I remember (laughs) Foxy comes in and we sit down and he goes, uh, he said, man, you know, um, Moose, there's a big difference between blue chip players and blue chip playing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, this team's got a lot of blue chip players on it, but you guys aren't playing like blue chip players. You gotta have blue chip play. And I said, well, you know, what's what's the significance of that? But, I mean, why are you telling me all it is, Foxy? He goes, well, here's one thing you can respect me for. He said, I will always tell you the truth. You might not like what you're going to hear, but at least you know how to deal with it. And I said, well, okay, so tell me the truth. What's going to happen here? He said, well, we're going to run the football here. We're going to play great defense. We're going to run the football. He said, you're not going to catch 100 balls a year, but you might catch 70 or 80, but we're going to win football games. And I said, Foxy, let me just tell you something, man. I came here to help the team win. You might not believe this, right? But I could care less about how many balls I catch if we're going to win football games. He said, well, we're going to have a good marriage here. And I said, well, I do.
12: Well, you just wanted to shorten the game. And to do that, you got to be able to run the ball and play defense.
4: Well, he used to tell us, he's like, you know, hey, punting's a good thing. I'm like, in what book? I mean, we're Smitty and I used to give him such a hard time about... You know, run, run, pass, punt. Is that the game plan this week, Foxy? We just run, run, pass, punt? And uh, But, you know, it, you know, I think it just it spoke to, like, you know, how much we wanted to win. And, like, you know, guys that caught balls and, you know, play receiver, we want to win. We want to make big plays. We want to win. And so we always would rag Foxy and tell him, like, man, you know, Foxy, we got to throw the ball more, man. We just got to throw the ball more. <laughs> For the
8: pass component, John Fox turned to veteran NFL quarterback Rodney Peet. In 2002, Peet authored the best season of his 15-year career, team historian David Monroe.
2: Rodney had the best season of his career in 2002. He was a good fit in Dan Henning's offense.
3: Second and eight Carolina from the New Orleans 15-yard line. Pete. Back to throw, avoids the rush, steps up, fires in the end zone. Hoover, touchdown Carolina!
8: While Pete capped his career year in the regular season finale at the Superdome, the Panthers brass scouted his future backup.
2: Generally, for your final regular season game, your pro scouts are not on the road anymore scouting an upcoming opponent. For our pro scouts went to New Orleans to scout a particular player who wasn't even going to play in the game.
8: Jim Zoki has been covering the Panthers for almost three
14: decades. They scouted him so much that they watched how he interacted with his teammates, not playing while being on the sidelines, being on the bench, and how active he was and how involved he was. And they really valued the leadership abilities of what they scouted in him before they brought him in here.
8: The Panthers were scouting a former undrafted free agent quarterback from Louisiana with a thick Cajun accent. His name, Jake Delone.
5: When I tell you, I never laced up my shoes so tight for a warm-up in my life. I mean, it was this was game time for me.
8: No one knew it at the time, but from the abyss of 1 and 15, daylight come. I think we all thought it was
14: Del Home for sure.
11: I'm not sure I heard the
1: name.
14: Jack Del Home.
1: <laughs> I didn't know anything about Jake Delholm. I'd never heard of him. Nice guy.
15: I didn't know if he was... An athlete. I looked at him. He didn't have the the physique of a guy that was an NFL athlete. Jake just looked like a regular guy, right? Could have been a banker here in, in
3: Charlotte. We did these Panther caravans, and we would go down into a community in either North or South Carolina and spend the day. We would meet with the school kids at a school. Players would sit at different tables to sign autographs. And I'll never forget, Jake is sitting by himself. There isn't anybody walking up to Jake DeLone. And I kind of looked over and I kind of felt sorry for him. I'm thinking, well, you know, we don't know anything about Jake DeLome.
8: Jake DeLome entered the 2003 season as an afterthought. Carolina brought him in from New Orleans to add depth to the quarterback room. Longtime Panthers broadcaster Jim Zocchi says at the time, there was little to no talk of any quarterback controversy.
14: Rodney Pete was viewed as the veteran guy who would be the starter, so that was the focus. Chris Winkie had been brought in prior to that with George Seifert and the disaster that was 1-15. Uh, so you knew that Winkie probably wasn't the next guy in the pecking order, that Jake would be the first guy off the bench if something were to happen there. And then for Jake, it would be just kind of having this younger veteran guy that we'll have to see what we've got here. And, and So really
2: not, not a lot stands out as far as that preseason training camp.
8: Panthers historian David Monroe.
2: I felt like there was a clear pecking order. Pete had worn the job following the 2002 season and that he was going to be the man going into the season. And as I remember the beginning of that season, Rodney Pete was on the cover of the game time program for the season opener against the Jaguars.
8: Rodney Pete was coming off the best season of his NFL career. Externally, he was viewed as the starting quarterback. But as John Fox explains, internally, things were a bit more fluid.
12: Jake, for being a new guy and, you know, learning the new offense. Uh, Dan Henning was the coordinator then. And, uh, you know, we brought Rodney in because he knew Dan's system uh, the year before in the first year. And, you know, there was a there was a feeling. We were kind of split on who was going to start that game.
8: Carolina opened the 2003 campaign at home against Jacksonville. Rodney Peet started at quarterback. Former Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski
3: you know, I go back to that first game and Rodney, of course, uh, married to Holly Robinson, <laughs> Holly Robinson-Pete. I remember she sang the national anthem before that game. Rodney-Pete comes in and we base I mean, we stunk the joint out. Nothing went on offensively in that first half. It was awful. Taylor and Edwards in the backfield behind Brunel. It's the fullback, Edwards straight ahead, barrels his way into the end zone, touchdown Jacksonville. Third down, Brunel again, rolls to the near sideline, looks, pumps, slows it downfield, catch, it's open, caught it, end zone, touchdown. Oh, they burn the defense. 33-yard strike, and it's 13 to nothing.
2: I know it's a 16-game season, so you're not ready to throw in the towel after we're in half, but I'm thinking to myself, here we go again.
8: The Panthers trailed the Jaguars 14-0 at halftime. To further muddy the optics... Jacksonville's head coach was former Panthers D coordinator Jack Del Rio. With the team down, John Fox felt he had no choice, so he made a game-changing and season-altering change at quarterback.
12: We kinda needed a little bit of a boost on offense. You know, we put Jake in. He'd already earned the respect of his teammates all through camp in the offseason. season. You know, and it was kind of a 50-50, you know, on the decision to to start Rod, but so it was it was really kind of a pretty easy adjustment, even in the middle of a game. Seven
11: and nine year, I think Rodney Pete brought so much stability and leadership, this guy knows football. He's won a ton of games. But I think like so many of us, you kind of get to a point where those diminishing skills just catch up with you and and the thing with a quarterback, it can happen really quick. And uh, Coach Fox, you know, he's got nothing to lose in that situation. We gotta get a win. We're favored to beat the Jaguars, you know, new coach with Del Rio being there and it was a home game for us and coming off that seven nine season, we really thought this is we're gonna go out there and roll over him in halftime. You got zero points and you've not really done a thing.
8: Defensive back Mike Minter recognized Delome's energy right away. We wasn't really
7: looking to Jake to be the guy until he came into that game. And he
8: came in, and the juice that he brought, that's when I knew the gamer. Offensive lineman Kevin Donnelly saw the energy, too, even if some of it was lost in translation.
11: It was hard to hear him speak. The thick Cajun accent, he's talking a mile a minute. It's like he's got a handful of quarters in his mouth. You know, I'm going to You know, yeah. I'll tell him Jordan Gross, he's a rookie. First game ever in the NFL, and, uh. I'm looking at him trying to decipher, like I think he called it pass protection. I know you've seen
1: the video when he came in and Jake gave everybody a high five or a low
11: five or whatever, went around the huddle. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be fun. It felt chaotic, but the one thing that resonated was that energy and that positivity. And you're like, you gotta keep up with Jake. Jake's going hundred miles an hour. For me, I loved that as a young guy who was like, That was my first start ever in the
1: NFL. And I loved having some of that energy and that confidence because I sure was looking for any of it I could acquire through osmosis because I could use it as well.
8: For Jake DeLome, the journey to that Panthers huddle was nothing short of an odyssey.
5: My pro career would be described as a suitcase. It was constantly packed. You never know where it was going to spend the night. It was a wild journey. It was six long, tiring, great years to finally get to Carolina.
8: After a decorated college career at Louisiana, DeLome was unsure about his next opportunity.
5: When I tell you it's crickets, it is crickets. I have no no teams contacting me. Didn't get invited to the senior bowl. Wasn't invited to the combine. So obviously not thinking a great deal about my prospects for the NFL. Did have a couple of teams. Miami wanted to work me out. I went to a local workout in New Orleans for the Saints. At that time, it was like a 50-mile radius where guys could come from. Well, I lived about 120 miles away, so we used my aunt and uncle's address in Metairie, and that's how uh, I went to that workout. And I did very well at that workout. I really and truly did really well. I was the only quarterback which helped, but it was good, and the draft came and went, and there was no preconceived ideas that I would be drafted. It was just hopeful you'd get a free agent call.
8: After going undrafted, the Lombs' prospects to play stateside were slim.
5: At that time, I had a local agent, real good guy, but really not well-connected, and I was probably going to head to the Canadian Football League. And then, lo and behold, I get a call from Bruce Limmerman with the New Orleans Saints. He was like director of pro personnel whatnot, and uh, they were going to invite me for a um, weekend minicamp on a tryout basis.
8: The Saints' invite kept DeLome close to home, but not for long.
5: I was with the Saints for six total years, but my first year was with Mike Ditka and staff. So go to training camp get cut they bring me back the last six weeks of the season on practice squad and then i got allocated in that following spring so that was the fall of 97 spring of 98 i get allocated to go to the amsterdam admirals of nfl europe which they would send young players there um that they either thought they had a chance to play and give them growth opportunity i guess you could say
8: Training camp for the Amsterdam Admirals took place in Sewanee, Georgia.
5: You're there for a month when you develop the team, and there was only two quarterbacks, myself and another guy. I found it odd that he had the playbook before we got there, before we ever had a practice. You know, it is what it is. So we go to camp. I guess you can say battle it out in camp. And uh, I did well, and I would call home nightly and i talked to my girlfriend who's not my wife or talked to my parents and everything was well how'd it go i did pretty well. well how'd the other guy do well he did pretty well too and he's a good guy quick release and he's accurate and so it just kind of went from there and we went to Amsterdam we didn't know who the starter was we practiced the whole week we are in the stadium in Dusseldorf we're playing the Rhine Fire and we find out an hour before the game who's going to be the starting quarterback
8: Amsterdam head coach Al Luganbill broke the news to DeLome and the other guy
5: sat me and the other quarterback down and he said hey we're going to go with Kurt Kurt Warner Kurt, we're going to start you. Jake, you're going to play a good bit. And I'm not asking either one of you to win the game for us. Just make sure y'all don't lose it. I was shocked. I heard that. And I said, man, did I hear that correctly? And then I have a 26-year-old Kurt Warner sitting next to me who looks at me and says, there's nothing like some confidence, huh, Jake? And I mean, I was like, I was still in shock. I said, like, I can't believe you just said that. And I was it. So I backed up future Hall of Famer Kurt Warner for that season.
8: DeLome struggled to process the news.
5: My confidence was shot because I, I lost out to Arena League quarterback. I mean, that's who I lost out to. I didn't know it was the guy at the time, but I knew this guy was pretty darn good. And I just left New Orleans, obviously, a few months prior. And said, man, he's, he's
8: better than the quarterbacks in New Orleans.
5: But you're not thinking that because the stigma of NFL Europe, you're not good enough.
8: After NFL Europe, Dalone returned to New Orleans as the team's third string quarterback, He won his first NFL start against Dallas in 1999. A Louisiana native, Jake quickly became a fan favorite, but opportunities remained limited.
5: I wasn't given a chance. Very simple. Listen, the three years with Mike Ditka, I, I, that was just kind of, we weren't a good football team. It was, it just, it wasn't right. And then uh, when Jim Haslett came in, he hired Mike McCarthy as offensive coordinator. And that's when my football eyes opened to the NFL. I truly learned what it was like to study and prepare and uh, be ready to play week in and week out. And so at that point, just really and truly didn't get an opportunity. Jeb Blake was brought in to be the starter and did extremely well. Was having the best statistical year of his career. Gets it, list Frank Injury and Aaron Brooks. They traded for him in training camp, gave up a second-round pick, so I knew I was going to be, you know, I I was the third guy. Um, And Aaron came in and did well.
8: With Brooks entrenched as the starter in New Orleans, DeLome had to go elsewhere to get a chance. He hit free agency following the 2002 season.
5: My options to possibly compete were Carolina and Dallas. Very simple. There was multiple teams that contacted my agent uh, to be a backup. One GM at the time, he was in Chicago, and my agents were out of Chicago. And um, basically he said, yeah, he'll never be more than a backup. So um, when we went up there in 2006 and beat them when they were the number one seed, that that was pretty pretty gratifying on my part, that this backup just sent you packing.
8: DeLome grew up rooting for the Cowboys, but being wanted mattered.
5: I knew Carolina had some interest. We had a a pro personnel guy in the Saints that, in essence, he didn't have any legs. What I mean by that, he wasn't given a voice pretty much anymore. And it was the Friday after Thanksgiving, and it's um, I'm eating lunch. And it was a little later. Everybody had kind of left, and he was there, and we were sitting down talking. And he said, hey, I'm really proud of you, the way you've handled yourself. He said, "Um, you're going to get an opportunity next year. No, I've put the word out. You'll get an opportunity, and uh, I truly believe Carolina is going to be one of those teams.
8: The Panthers brass had scouted DeLome during warm-ups when the Panthers played the Saints in the 2002 regular season finale.
5: I go out there to warm up, and I swear I'm floating on air running out there, and I'm watching. You, you just you kind of see things, and I never forget – John Fox was on the 50-yard line standing there talking to Jim Haslett and Wesley Walls. Now, Wesley was a member of the Panthers, prior saint, but Wesley wasn't dressed. He was hurt. So Jim Haslett and Wesley had a relationship, and they're watching. Well, Foxy is staring a hole through me. I can just feel it, and I can see it. I'm making sure every drop is perfect, and I'm humming it. And so as that goes on... um, they watch we warm up and everything and the game we lose 10-6 and it's a frustrating game um the whole crowd the whole second half basically is chanting we won jake we won jake
8: Delome's decision ultimately came down to carolina and to dallas
5: it was close to be honest it was very close i will say this i i wholeheartedly listened to my agents because dallas was intriguing to me bill Parcells, head coach Six hours from home, Dallas Cowboys. But Sean Payton was a quarterback coach, and there was something about him. I spent most of my time with him. There was just you just knew, um, and he loved John Fox because they were both coordinators with the Giants together. So there was a, a big mutual respect. I love my time here in Carolina on my visit, and, and my agent just said, "Hey, listen, if you're ever gonna trust me, you gotta. Carolina's ready. They're ready to go now. I said Dallas is not. They're not I said. Carolina. They Marty Herney has built this team." He said, and I'm just telling you, this is your best opportunity.
8: That opportunity came midway through the third quarter of the season opener with Carolina trailing Jacksonville
3: 17-0. Jake DeLome in a quarterback for Carolina, and the Panthers are trailing Jacksonville. Eight and a half minutes to go, third quarter, 17 to nothing. First and 10 for DeLome. Play action, back to throw, fires over the middle, moose, touchdown!
8: Every magic trick has three acts. The pledge, the turn, and the prestige. The prestige made Steve Smith a believer. What's funny is I I didn't think it
9: was anything special about Jake in the beginning. But then when we got in the game, when Jake replaced Rodney P, it clicked. It was like, oh, he is different. Something is different. He was very confident in what he knew. And if he didn't
8: know, he would tell you.
3: Floats it up for Steve Smith. Up for, he grabs it. He's in the end zone. Now we got a touchdown.
8: Dalone provided a second-half spark, but the game still hung in the balance. Carolina trailed by five with three and a half minutes to go. Panthers historian David Monroe recalls the birth of the cardiac cats.
2: Jake came in and put together some scoring drives for us, and we got the ball at the end of the game. And Jake drives us down the field. DeLoman
3: the shotgun, first and 10 from the Jacksonville 22. He's back to throw. Steps up over the middle, caught. It's Mangum at the 11 to the 10. It'll be first and goal. He got 12, 40 seconds to go. Delomen the shotgun, back to throw, pumps, fires, caught, goings at the five, he'll step out of bounds. So it's come down to this from the 12-yard line. Fourth down Carolina, one timeout, 22 seconds on the clock. They trail Jacksonville by five. DeLome has his team at the line of scrimmage. Ricky Proll goes in motion, far side left. Here's DeLome back to throw. Looks, looks, fires for Proll in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Ricky Proll!
2: I don't believe it! We won, and it was an amazing finish. It kind of set the stage for the Cardiac Cats. Those, those last-minute wins, different people making big plays at big times.
3: Guys, the way this Panther team is built, it's going to be like this every week. We're not going to blow people out. we got the defense to keep us in a lot of games. And I know one of the big questions after this game is, what's your quarterback situation, Coach? Because Jake DeLome has come in and lit the fire here.
8: DeLome threw three second-half touchdown passes, and in the eyes of his head coach, he was the clear number one quarterback.
12: I mean, he did a tremendous job. I mean, it's not easy to come in as a a new player, you know, especially a quarterback, and be able to to gather everything that uh, you you need to know to go into a game. And Jake had really done that. I thought it was a pretty smooth transition. And really, the way the game finished, it was a pretty easy nod going forward.
5: One is confidence because, I mean, like in my mind, I always thought I know I belong. Even my first practice as a rookie with the Saints, I'm like, okay, I'm just as tall if not taller. I weigh more than these guys. I think I got a stronger arm than these guys. I think I'm just as accurate, if not more, in my mind. But I just didn't have the repetition. So I always believed I could do it. And then, yeah, you have the bump in the road with NFL Europe. And then the confidence comes back because the guy you battled with till the end is now a former MVP of the league and Super Bowl champ. So it's just it's a great feeling. We won the game, but it's a great feeling that when your team, they believe in you. There's nothing like it. And I remember running off the field and my wife was in the stands. No one else. We had no family because I was the backup. Lauren, who's our nine-month-old at the time, she's at home in the apartment with a babysitter. And it was just, it was awesome. You know, Carrie and I, we left and we moved here by ourselves, you know, with a child in tow, and it, it was just fitting. Our first game by ourselves, you know, and and driving home like, okay, we did it. Now it's the start of something. That's what that's kind of what it felt like. And I got a phone call the next morning by Dan Hening, uh, driving in, and it was like, hey, okay, things have changed. You're the starter, and he was just preparing me, like, things are different now. And that was it, because they had made up their mind. The staff, everybody had made their mind. I was the guy going forward. And so it wasn't like I was going to have a bad series get pulled. It was like, okay, things are going things to change. It's big boy
8: time. When Jake DeLome came to the Panthers, his teammates knew little about him. No one wanted his autograph, and no one expected much. One game into the 2003 season, all that changed. The Jaguar.
13: Game changed everything because you needed a spark. We was like something was was missing.
1: I mean, I felt like we'd probably have to go in that direction the way it went. That you know, everybody was so pumped up, and I don't, I didn't, I don't even remember there even being any thought about a quarterback controversy at that point. It seemed like Rodney
11: stepped aside willingly and was happy to be the backup guy, and Jake just got rolling. I think personally, everybody inside thought this, this, this is the guy
9: got interesting real quick we knew we had something special but we just we didn't know exactly
11: when
14: you've got a quarterback come off the bench and lead a dramatic rally in the last 16 seconds for a fourth down touchdown to Ricky Prohl there's no question he's going to start week two at that point to, to
3: any of us I always credit Jake DeLone for saving this franchise and saving John Fox because if he doesn't play the way he plays over that time stretch I don't know where anybody is after the two or three years of the John Fox run. It was his ability to somehow make plays and his rapport with Steve Smith that carried this team. But that first game, you know, and then Jake comes in and lights a fire under this offense, and that fire uh, continued for the rest of the season.
8: The Panthers now had a difference maker at the most important position. But for DeLome and the Cats, a flag of piracy hung on the horizon. Before the 2003 season even began, Panthers defensive tackle Brenton Buckner boasted that Carolina had a better defensive line than Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers had just won a Super Bowl and did so with a dominating defense anchored by future Hall of Famer Warren Sapp.
3: Pass, it's picked off, intercepted, that's intercepted off. at the 30, Derek, Derek Brooks all the way, all picked off, Dwight Smith, 35 20, 15 10 5.
15: He wrote a check that all of us had to pay for, and we knew that game was going to be a war.
3: That's the ballgame.
13: Buccaneers win. Buccaneers win. Buccaneers win at San Diego. We are the
12: the kings of the world.
8: The Panthers' greatest strength in 2003 was its vaunted defensive line. The unit featured depth, talent, speed, power, and experience. Defensive end, Mike Rucker says the ringleader was 10-year vet and pot stirrer Brenson Buckner. He was kind of our OG. He was
6: our our vet. So he was kind of the guy with all the knowledge. I mean, he's he's a D-line coach now in the NFL. So that kind of tells you what kind of knowledge that he had and he had been around. So Buck kind of helped
8: us kind of understand the game plan and the scheming part of things. Lining up next to Buckner was a six foot four, three hundred and sixty-pound Colossus, Chris Jenkins. And
13: I'm telling you what, at that three technique and at the one technique, he held
6: it down. When it was double team, he, he just was a, a monster down in there. Jinx, he was just this massive guy that, uh, very athletic, but there was no stopping him, especially when he would go straight ahead. And so when you look at that defensive line and,
8: you know, you had speed, you had power, you had guys that would play the run. And in Julius Peppers, the Panthers had a cold fusion of finesse and fury. Peppers came to the Panthers as the number two pick out of North Carolina in the 2002 draft, a reward if there ever was one for going 1-15 in 2001. As a rookie, Peppers registered a dozen sacks and route to Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. Well, obviously you really get to see it when
6: you get one-on-one. You would thought that the world stopped turning. When you look at Pap and his big body, but then he's got the speed like a wide receiver. So you don't really know what, you, what you're what you going to do against him. And so really, if when he just turns it on, there's, there's really no stopping him on one-on-ones. I mean, he'll bull rush you right back to the quarterback so you lose that. He'll run right by you on the outside, you lose that. He'll fake you like with the crossover like he's on the basketball court and then he has you looking silly. So I just remember like it was really like
8: he could really do anything that he wanted to do. Rookie tackle Jordan Gross remembers facing Peppers during Gross's first training camp.
1: That was just a type of human that I didn't really know existed. He inundated me with speed and strength and all the stuff that um, gave him Defensive Rookie of the Year and uh, just really trial by fire right off the bat. Who's stopping Pep? Pep is a first-ballot Hall
13: of Famer. There's not a dude other than Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor, who's changed the defensive end that that spot, that spot up there where you close up on that left tackle or the right tackle changed the game. He's a defensive end that gets interceptions more so than linebackers do. That's the dude we had up in the mix. You couldn't block
4: this cat.
8: While Julius Peppers worked as a silent hunter, he saw a different approach from fellow DN to Mike Rucker.
4: I was a young guy would just, that would just play. I wouldn't say much. Ruck was the, the veteran that would try to get under guy's skin. He was a great guy to be around. He would get fired up. Maybe you can't tell from knowing him off the field, but on the field, he would really get fired up and excited about playing. He was like a, a talker.
8: But Jordan Gross found out that Rucker's trash talk had a unique twist.
1: Rucker was a young guy, up and comer, you know, just kind of finding his groove. And he really motivated himself by talking trash. And it was always like funny because it was super clean, like G rated trash talk. Like, man, you stink. You're nothing but a sucker, you know. Like there was never a cuss word. That so it's just like it was funny because it was family friendly trash talk. Not the same as what Chris Jenkins would say.
6: I chose, you know, coming out of college in late in the year that I I would stop swearing. It, it was bad. I I listened to a voicemail. This is back when we had answering machines, and um, yeah, I called a roommate, and and uh, when I heard it because I got home, it just it wasn't appealing when I heard that, and so from that point on, I said. Um, I, I need to. This needs to change. This isn't good. And so I just went cold turkey. So I haven't had a cuss word since 1997,
8: I think. So how did you talk
6: trash then? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's corny stuff, but in the moment, though, I mean, it could be like playing like a divisional rival, like the the Falcons. I mean, we, we did a lot of trash talk, talking then, or 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 the uh, the Bucks, and it just might be like. You know, I'm getting up in somebody's face, and it might be like, hey, this is the same soup it's just reheated. You know, just letting them know, like, hey, they've seen this before. We're just reheating it, and they're going to get the same flavor. So it'd be more of that kind of stuff. It, 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 it wasn't crazy. It's was probably more goofy than, than anything. But in the moment, it
8: sounded like it was all right. Beyond the starting four, the Panthers' D-line also had quality depth. Yeah, you had Al Wallace and Shane Burton that would, that would come
6: in. We, we called ourselves the six-pack. When you have people that could come in off the bench two things one they have to have the right attitude right so if they don't have the right attitude then that's going to mess up the chemistry but al and 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 shane had a great attitude they they knew were what their role was they came in they were basically starters at times and so when they would come in there wasn't you wouldn't miss a beat and so that that was something that was special about al and shane is that um, they were selfless.
8: They came in, they did their job, and uh, they got better. For Al Wallace, the Panthers represented his last lifeline as an NFL player. An undrafted free agent out of Maryland, he spent the early part of his career with the Eagles. He signed with the Bears in 2001, but never made it to the regular season. Well, I started the
15: fall on the roster with the Chicago Bears, suffered a knee injury, was waved, injured found myself at home and decided I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach. All the guys that were influential in my life were teachers and coaches. Uh, ended up getting a job as an assistant principal of a high school uh, down in South Florida and got a call in December on a futures contract with the Miami Dolphins and was really struggling with that. I had a year-old daughter. had just settled in back at home in Florida and thought my career in the NFL was just over. And I had had a good Four or five year run, and I was satisfied with that. Got that call, made that decision to go with the Dolphins in 2002. A week before training camp, Wallace got a call. Well, my agent called. He said, "I got some good news and some bad news." Right? The bad news is you got traded. I'm thinking, me traded for what? Like you know, a bag of chips or something like that. So I get traded. And the good news is you're going to Carolina. They trade away Jay Williams. They're going to, you know, they just drafted a rookie, Julius Peppers, and they have Mike Rucker. That's it. It's all the guys we know. You got a good chance of going in here. And the best news is that Mike Tergovic, my coach with my best run in the with the Philadelphia Eagles, was now the defensive line coach. So I got here, and right away, Jack Del Rio, John Fox, Mike Tergovic said, we don't care when you were drafted. We don't care what you were doing three months ago. If you can play, you're going to play, and you're going to be on the team. And I decided that I was going
8: to give it another shot. Wallace didn't care about any Panthers prologue, only that Carolina could prolong his NFL career.
15: I didn't care. Didn't matter to me. I don't even know if I knew the team was 1-15 the year before. I was laser focused on fulfilling that dream. I know I was a good player. I had a contract on the table. I break my ankle in 1999 in the final preseason game. Andy Reid's the new coach. Well, he has no ties to me. It isn't, I'm not one of his guys, so they ended up cutting me. So I had something left. I felt that the the journey was still you know, had to be written, and I, I went in with that laser focus that I was going to fight and scrap and do everything I could. And if I was cut, if that was the final straw, then that was it. So I did not know anything about the team. I didn't know where Spartanburg, South Carolina was. I just came in here to see if Al Wallace could make an NFL
8: roster and, and be one of the guys. For Wallace and the Panthers' defensive line, the Week 2 tilt against the Bucks had the buildup of a boxing fight. The Panthers were the brash challenger. The Bucks held the title belt. Mike Rucker remembers the noise.
6: I would rather have my play show than me to go out in, in in the papers or the media and say it. But that's the thing I love about Buck is that he that's his role. That was his role is to be able to do those things. You know, and they they, they were the measuring stick. When you when you win the Super Bowl, you become the standard. And when you look at their defense. That was a good standard to look at, to measure yourself with. But if you've been around, like, like say, like a of Buckner, and he's seen talent and he's like, no, I'll put jinx up against Sap. You know, for us, you know, it was that initial like, oh, okay. And they took the bait and then it was on. So then we had to go
8: down there and back it up. On the game's opening possession, the Bucks drove inside the Panthers 40, but Carolina's D-line flashed its depth. And held Tampa scoreless.
3: First and ten. Again, a short drop by Johnson. Now he's going to have to sprint out to his right. Cuts back left. Shane Burton cut him off. That would be a sack for Carolina, I believe. Johnson under center. And he drops back to throw. Has a lot of time and fires. And it's caught at the 30-yard line. And then fumbled on the play. Picked up. No, they're going to call it an incomplete pass. It wouldn't have been a first down anyway. And now the Bucks are going to send uh, Tom Tupa on. And he's their punter. So Carolina's defense out there for ten plays. But... They make the stop.
8: The Panthers led 3-0 midway through the second quarter when the Bucks looked to get even.
3: Romanica will try a 29-yard field goal from the left hash mark. Step. Kick and block! It's blocked by the Panthers.
8: Jenkins' block kept the Bucks off the board, but Tampa threatened again late in the first half.
3: First down and 10, Tampa at the Carolina 39-yard line. 103 to go, first half. Johnson takes the swing. It's a screen over the middle. Oh, and it's intercepted by Al Wallace. Back for Carolina down the middle of the field. 40. It's a sprint. Can he get away? 20. He's down to the 10-yard line and finally caught. The running back, Pittman, finally chased him down.
8: And the Carolina defense comes up with a huge play. Al Wallace's first career interception led to another John Casey field goal. The Panthers took a 6-0 halftime lead. After both teams traded field goals in the third, Tampa tried to inch closer in the fourth. Waiting for the snap
3: from 47 yards out, a little high. Kick is blocked. Block.
8: Julius Peppers blocked field goal, kept Tampa at bay once again. But the Panthers' offense failed to gain any traction or provide a cushion, and the Bucs took advantage in the waning seconds of regulation.
3: Second and ten, Tampa from the 18. They stunt up the middle. Johnson pumps, fires, far sideline, caught! Somebody found an opening down along the Panthers' sideline. Out of bounds at the Carolina 39-yard line. Uh, It's third down and 15. 19 seconds on the clock. Again, Johnson back to pass. Pumps, fires over the middle. Johnson's got it this time to the six-yard line. 13 seconds, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, Johnson spikes the ball with five seconds. It'll be first down. They'll have time for probably one play. Johnson, ready to go for the Bucks. He's back to pass. Looks, floats it in the end zone. No, he didn't no, stay in no, bounds. No, no, no. no. He they called the it a touchdown to Keenan McCardell. I don't believe it. The game is tied.
8: Brad Johnson's touchdown pass to Keenan McCardell tied the game at nine. There was no time left. All Tampa needed was an extra point to effectively seal the win. Prior to the kick, Panthers head coach John Fox called a timeout. It
12: was critical that um, they didn't get that extra point. And um, we, we had a pretty explosive tackle in uh, Chris Jenkins. And special teams, we, we talked about you know getting penetration. Uh, we're going to be able to do that. Panthers play-by-play announcer
8: Bill Rosinski. And I remember saying to uh, Jim Zocchi and Eugene Robinson, I said,
3: I said, we've already blocked two field goals. Can we block
8: an extra point? At the time, the Bucs' Martine Automatica Gramatica was considered one of the NFL's most reliable kickers and had never missed an extra point.
3: Well, they blocked two field goals, so can they block an extra point? Because we're tied at nine. Gramatica ready, Tupa's the holder. Snap. Kick oh, it's not no. blocked. Pick it it it's that ball. Pick it up. Run it. Pick it, up, run it oh, you can't ball. run it. Towns is going to lateral the ball and out yeah. of bounds. Oh, my goodness. We're still alive. <laughs> and we are not done yet, Bill. We ain't done. They blocked two field goals and an extra point. Go ahead, defense. Don't die, baby. Baby, don't die. An extra point. Now what? How about it?
8: Jenkins' second blocked kick sent the game to overtime, and in OT, special teams delivered again.
3: Good snap. Buzz Kick by Tupac. Angles it far side. Hits at the 10. Smith will take it there at the 10. 15. Smith to the 20. 25. Down the sideline. 30. Cuts left. He's at the 40. Smith is still going to midfield. And he's caught from behind at the Tampa 40-yard line. What a big play when you need it. Go ahead, Smithy. Handle it. Handle it, young man. No flags. None. We're tied at nine in overtime and a dramatic ball game here in Tampa. Sauerbrunn ready. He's got it. Casey into it with the leg. It is up. It is up. It is up. It is good. Panthers have won it in overtime. The Panthers have won it in overtime. John Casey pounds it through. What a marvelous, incredible win
8: for the Panthers. If a road win against the defending Super Bowl champion didn't send shockwaves through the NFL, it certainly did so in the visiting locker room. Offensive lineman Kevin Donnelly.
11: That locker room, after just a week two win, you would have thought we won the Super Bowl. I mean, Marty Her- Herney's hugging folks, and John Fox is jumping up and down, and guys are dancing, and even guys like John Casey, who's the most unemotional, steady-as-you-go guys. I mean, seeing him laugh and, and smile and, and get all the hugs for kicking that last-minute field goal to give us the win, it was it was fun. I mean, that was fun, and I think that's when people started to realize, hey, we might not be a great team. We, we don't know if we'll ever get to be a great team, but daggum, like, don't ever count us out. We're, that we're that team this year that's who we are and you take us lightly or we're going to smack you in the face beat you down and go find
8: another win the next week offensive lineman jordan gross i thought we'd
1: lost because all they had to do is kick a pat to win the game you know with just there's a short amount of time left and chris jenkins blocks a pat i mean like that never happens you know what I mean? Like, so unlikely. Went in the locker room, and that was like two weeks in a row. Man, we, we came back and won at home, and now we beat defending Super Bowl champs. And I just remember the belief in ourselves was through the roof at that point because we're thinking, man, if we can beat the Bucks, we can beat anybody.
3: Just one of those games. It was a typical, I would say, Panther game from the, the few years before where there was, you know, nothing seemed to be going right, but somehow we were ahead in the fourth quarter. Now, if this is two years before that, we lose the game.
8: While the game was marred by penalties and sloppiness, the Panthers found a way into the win column. And for Jake DeLome, that's all that mattered. It was a rough
5: game, and um, thank goodness for John Casey and our defense and Steve Smith, because I didn't have anything, any hand in winning that game, I can promise you. But we, we were able to win. And i never forget, in that locker room, it's a small little locker room in Tampa, and we were elated. And, and that's the way John Fox was. He didn't care how it was done as long as you won. And Dan Henning was the same way. You've got so many coordinators that they're so worried about stats and what's the completion percentage. And what is this and what is that? And I remember sitting in my locker, and I was excited. Don't get me wrong. And Dan came by, and I remember looking at him, and I was like, hey, I, need, I know I need to play better. And it was like, F that. We just won. It doesn't matter. And that was Dan's approach. He didn't care. We won the game. And so that was just kind of like, wow, that's a confidence builder for me.
8: The Cardiac Cats were 2-0. They had beaten the defending champs on the road and made good on Branson Buckner's preseason boast. Buck thought he was a prophet,
15: but we just thought he had a big mouth and he got us all in trouble there, kind of spurring on Warren Sapp. Who needed none of that, by the way? Everybody had counted us out. We had taken down the world champs, the defending champs, on their field. And at that point, we felt like we were
8: now the best defensive line, maybe the best defense in the NFL. A bye week awaited, but the Panthers had already bottled up their signature cocktail, a concoction of resilience, perseverance, and belief. Two seasons removed from a 1-15 campaign, the Panthers opened the year with two heart-pulsing wins. Jake Delone came off the bench to spark a fourth-quarter comeback in Week 1.
3: Fires for Pro in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, rookie Pro!
8: In Week 2, Carolina blocked three kicks in an overtime road win against defending champion Tampa Bay.
3: Well, they blocked two field goals, so can they block an extra point? Romantic already. Tupa's the holder.
8: Snap. Ah! Fourth-quarter comebacks and bone-crushing defense would become hallmarks of the season, but there was a storm brewing in the backfield. Stephen Davis is the thunder part of it. Davis
3: stretches for the end zone, touchdown.
8: Smoke
15: we call smoke. Deshaun Foster was the light. Of it.
3: Pitch to Foster, trying to turn the far side, gets over Hoover, bounces off a tackle, still keeps the legs turning, and dives towards the end zone, touchdown!
1: Such different dudes, you know, Deshaun was really young, he was in his second year.
15: Foster was a guy out of UCLA that was a taller, slimmer, built back, and we didn't know what he was gonna be, but once we saw him carry the ball in training camp in in 03, we knew he was physical, he was tough. We knew a California guy, he brought that that type of edge.
1: I just could never figure out, Stephen, like I don't think I ever saw him lift weights take his shirt off and it was i mean he didn't look bad but it was not impressive and he didn't seem real fast but he would set you up as a blocker like nobody i ever blocked for ending it off to steven davis is a great play
5: why washington let him go i'll never have any idea
8: steven davis had spent the first seven years of his nfl career with washington from 1999 to 2001 He was one of the most productive running backs in the NFL. But in 2002, Steve Spurrier took over as Washington's head coach. Spurrier's pass-happy approach turned Davis into an afterthought. Panthers radio analyst Eugene Robinson. Everybody knew how good a runner he was. Everybody knew he's
13: a big man. that It was a track guy. And everybody knew that this dude could run the rock. A la, like if you got Adrian Peterson or this guy was, was the guy. And he was also a guy that was looking for that team to go ahead and shine. Because I think there was maybe a little bad blood, like, Hey, okay, I'm going to prove to you that I'm the real, real deal. And boy, did he
8: ever do that. Washington released the two-time all pro in February of 2003. Less than three weeks later, Davis, a Spartanburg, South Carolina native, signed with Carolina. It gave head coach John Fox the makings of a championship backfield.
12: Well, I'd seen him a bunch when he was in Washington because I came you know, as a defensive coordinator uh, at the New York Giants. So I kind of knew what he brought. He was a big physical back, a good teammate, and I think he brought a whole heck of a lot you know, in that locker room. Davis flourished in his first season as a Panther. He
8: opened the 2003 campaign with four straight 100-yard games.
3: Pitch to Stephen Davis, running right. Cut back left to the 40. Davis still going. Pitch to Davis, running right again. Nice turn, 50. Davis going to the 45 at Jacksonville. Stephen Davis, who else, trying to turn it outside, and he's got room to run. Stephen Davis, big hole left side to the 30, to the 35. Draw play to Stephen Davis. Finds the hole on the left side to the 45 and pulls his way forward. First down at midfield. Hits the line of scrimmage, breaks outside. Davis still turning the legs and out of bounds at the Tampa Bay 31-yard line. And I
8: like it. Carolina hosted Atlanta in the Panthers' third game of the season. The Falcons were without their star quarterback, Michael Vick, and in this one, the Panthers didn't need to be cardiac. Handing off to Stephen Davis... Was enough. Davis outside 15 to the 20 down the near sideline. Stephen Davis
3: 30 and finally punched out of bounds at the 40 yard line. Stephen Davis back to the ball game. He's got the ball up the middle. Big hole 40. Still turning. And off Davis looking for a hole up the middle. Asked 40. 35. It's a sprint down the sideline. 20. Davis to the 10. And it'll be first and goal at the 8 yard line. Davis with the football. He waltzes into the end zone. Nobody touched him. Touchdown, Carolina.
8: A 20-point home win against the Falcons also gave the Panthers their first extended look at rookie running back Deshaun Foster.
3: Here's Deshaun Foster, cover up the ball, breaks a tackle at the 40. Down the near sideline goes Deshaun Foster, and out of bounds at the 26-yard line of Atlanta. They better read the scouting report. Deshaun Foster is exceptionally fast,
13: exceptionally fast.
12: Head coach, John Fox. We drafted Deshaun Foster uh, in the second round, so we had a good one-two punch at running back, which I felt like you needed, you know, to sustain a good running game, you know, through a full NFL season. Panthers radio analyst Eugene Robinson: Deshaun Foster has this ability
13: to stay on his feet. You can hit him, boom, boom, but he stays on his feet. He has incredible balance. If they let this cat eat, I'm seeing the heir parent of
8: Stephen Davis right now. It's Deshaun Foster. A 3-0 Carolina team would host New Orleans in Week 5. For quarterback Jake DeLome, facing his old team brought emotions to the surface.
5: It was awful. I always slept well the night before a game. Even the night before the Super Bowl. Just, I've always slept great. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I wanted to beat them so bad. And, 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 And... emotion just everything about it one is a division game but two is just like you know screw y'all y'all didn't give me a chance we're gonna beat and that was just and that's not healthy that's not good but yeah it was a very emotional game uh i know for me and a couple of times during the game you know calling plays in 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 the huddle steven davis who's a country boy from spartanburg south carolina and they used to tease steven and i about our accents but he understood me fine well, when Stephen Davis looked at me in the huddle and said, "Hey, boy, shut up and slow down," I can't understand, I can't understand what you're saying. That's when I knew, man, my, I might be, <laughs> I might be a little too hyped up. But, yeah, that was it was great to win at home. Rod Smart of the infamous he-hate-me had a kickoff return.
3: He-hate-me, Rod Smart at the goal line. He's coming out with a 10, 20, big hole, 30. Can he get by Berger? Does. Down the sideline. He's gone. 40, 30. No one's going to catch him. He-hate-me. We love you. Touchdown,
8: Panthers. DeLone didn't have to do much against the Saints. The Panthers ran it 40 times. 30 of those carries went to Stephen Davis.
3: Davis, cutback move. Got the first down. Keeps the lights turning. Handoff, Stephen Davis. Up the middle, 40. Big hole, 45. And Davis to midfield. Here's Stephen Davis again. Up the middle, big hole, 40. Davis to the 35. Is it Stephen Davis time again? I formation. Davis, the tailback. He's got the ball right side. Turtles his way in. Touchdown, Panthers. And that drive was all Stephen Davis.
8: Carolina cruised to a 19-13 win. The Panthers were 4-0 and headed for a heavyweight showdown. Former Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski.
3: The game that stood out to me that proved that this team wasn't a fluke was Indianapolis.
8: The Colts were 5-0. Indianapolis quarterback Peyton Manning was 27 years old in his prime and in the midst of his first MVP season. For Mike Rucker and the Panthers' defense, a daunting challenge awaited in Indy. That team was a very good team as you start to see them just
6: peel off their Hall of Famers. And so going up there, I mean, this is one of the louder places to play at. And so being on their home turf, um, man, he's he, Peyton Manning himself is hard to play, especially as a defensive lineman because he'll come up to the line and take his time, use up all that play clock. And so you don't want to be on your on, you know, in your three-point stance for, like, the whole play clock. So you'll come up and kind of be lackadaisical, maybe get on a knee and just kind of get ready. And then as soon as you do that, bam, quick count, right? And then as soon as you get down there and then you start hanging out because you think it's quick count, he takes the whole play clock. And so he's just mentally messing with you physically and mentally – the whole time.
3: Once again, with 20 on the play clock, the, the uh, Colts are at the line of scrimmage, and this will be the uh, way Peyton Manning runs things all afternoon.
8: Carolina fell into an early hole, trailing 13 to 3 at halftime.
3: Williams, are running back, play action fake to Williams. Back to throw is Manning down the middle of the field. Harrison's wide open. Oh, Uh-oh. pounded by Mike Minner at the one yard line. Manning hands off. Mungra right up the middle, touchdown.
8: But the game turned when Peyton Manning was bested by his namesake. Pump fake. Little screen. Picked off! It's intercepted by Ricky Manning! Rookie Ricky Manning's interception of Peyton Manning swung the pendulum to the Panthers. Carolina reeled off 17 unanswered To take the lead. Here's
3: Steven Davis trying to turn the right side. Cut back left. Davis 20. Still going. 15, 10, sideline 5 to the pylon. Did he get it in? Touchdown. Panthers. Here's Delome setting up the throw. Floats it downfield for Steve Smith. He's open at the 30. Near sideline 20. Gets by a tackler. Takes it to the end zone.
8: Touchdown. Though Carolina led entering the fourth quarter, running back Steven Davis had left the game with an injury. And in the final minute, Indy had a chance to tie. The Colts have gone from
3: deep in their own territory to the Carolina 25 inside a minute to go. And Panthers all, by seven. Bill, all we need is one play. Just all we need is one play. Well, let's get it. Manning pumps, fires, all oh, no. oh, wide open, caught, touchdown, touchdown to Reggie Wayne. There wasn't anybody close to him.
8: With Stephen Davis sidelined, rookie Deshaun Foster shouldered the burden in overtime.
3: Foster and Hoover in the backfield. Pitch to Foster trying to turn it outside right. Cuts back to the left. Has the first down to the 40. Still going. Keeps the legs turning. <laughs> He's up to the 44-yard line. What a great second and third effort by Deshaun Foster. And if your Panthers can get five, six, seven more yards, they can be in John Casey range. Hand off Foster, looking for a hole outside in big trouble, but does turn the corner to the 40, down the sideline, and then he skips out of bounds. Oh, my goodness. Oh,
13: my goodness, bro. That man is absolutely uncanny. There was absolutely nowhere to go. He should have lost five yards on that play.
8: In the biggest game of his young pro career, Foster delivered, rushing for 85 yards and giving kicker John Casey a chance to win it.
3: And John Casey's gonna try and win this one in overtime. This'll be, uh, we'll call it 48 yards. 48-yard field goal, right in the middle between the hash marks. Sauerbrunn will hold. The crowd will tell you whether it's good or not. Jason Kyle will snap for the win. Good snap, kick by Casey's on the way. Up, 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 and good! It's good! And the Panthers have pulled it out in overtime. John Casey from 48 yards out. And the Panthers are still undefeated. I remember coming back from that game, thinking to myself, man, we're 5-0, and are you kidding me? That was the game where I think even the team said, you know, we might have something special here.
11: Inside the locker room, we were we were starting to believe. We really were. It's just um, people want to paint the narrative and of what that team's going to be. And when you're not dominating week in and week out, they don't really respect your record. Um, gotta prove it each and every week. If you're gonna win close games, you better string together some wins in a row. And for a lot of people, five is good, but that wasn't enough to show that the Panthers were were a team to be reckoned with in 2003. We kept knocking
1: off these juggernauts, you know what I mean? It was the Bucs, it was Peyton Manning, it was overtime, and like, well, let's get it to overtime. We'll win this one and head on out of here. We had a super early bye too that year. It was like week three, I think. So at that point, we were six weeks into the season already. It was kind of like, man, this thing's a piece of cake.
14: The history lesson was uh, John Fox and that group inherited a one and fifteen team, drafted Julius Peppers, got to seven and nine. Again, a lot of that led by defense. So when they start five and zero, even though it's close games, you're thinking this is the progression. We're on the speed route here of, of improvement from being the worst team in the league uh, to where you thought, okay, this um, this
8: could be something special brewing here. The Panthers had come through the tempest of one and fifteen. Their quarterback was a testament to perseverance. They were unfazed by any fourth-quarter deficit and had beaten Tampa Bay and Indianapolis on the road. This was a team that could handle adversity. But for John Fox's squad, now came the hard part.
12: In life, you're either dealing with adversity You know, a lot of people deal with adversity, and how you deal with it's important. Uh, But sometimes dealing with prosperity is more difficult. You know, you start, you know, getting a little lax, and you're starting to listen to what people are saying on the outside. So, you know, part of being a championship football team is dealing with prosperity, and uh, sometimes that can be harder than adversity. A lesson the Panthers would soon learn.
8: The upstart Panthers were the talk of the NFL. Coming off an overtime win against previously unbeaten Indianapolis, Carolina was 5-0 and tied for the best record in the NFC. Two of the wins came in overtime. Another came in the final minute of regulation. The Panthers showed they could stiff-arm adversity, but now they had to handle success. We started reading the press clippings.
15: We started watching Sports Center. We started hearing those things. He's right. I mean, and that's
5: and look, that's human nature.
6: When you see a team just reel off and they're going undefeated, just like, man, that is, it's just hard to hold on to that just because of the outside pressure.
11: The next week after playing Indianapolis, getting to go back home and play in Bank of America Stadium against the Tennessee Titans, I remember it was an absolutely gorgeous, glorious fall day.
3: Hello everybody and welcome to Carolina Panthers football. And this is game number 6 for the Panthers. 133 teams have started 5 and 0. 60 made it to 6 and 0. So the odds are against the Panthers today, but they've been fighting the odds most of these last few weeks, going on the road to Tampa and winning in overtime, going to Indianapolis last week winning in overtime. And despite the fact that the Titans are 4 and 2, most people, the experts picking Tennessee to win this football game today. We'll see if the Panthers have an answer for their critics uh, in about three hours from now.
1: We got our
2: butts kicked. (laughs) We
5: we had a special teams blunder on the opening kickoff.
3: Here's the kick high, very short. Brad Hoover lets it hit at the 25. Pick it up, Brad. Loose ball around the 29-yard line, and the Titans say they have it. The Titans say they have it. There's a big pile up there, but we don't know who's got it. No signal from anybody. And they're still trying to figure out who's got it. The Titans say they do, and I believe, yes, they do.
14: Now you're thinking, uh-oh.
3: Here's the snap into McMahon's hands. He's back to throw. He's going to try and put it under his arm and run. He's sports the two, the one, dives in the end zone. Touchdown. Tennessee.
5: They beat our butt. That's what happened.
3: Oh, do fumbled the ball, and Tennessee's got it at the 29-yard line.
5: They just whipped us like you
3: wouldn't believe. And they're going to throw the football, and it's a catch, and breaking down the sideline. This is going to be 10-5. Touchdown, Tennessee. They fake the punt.
12: You know, you need that during the season. You know, I don't think there's too many teams that have, you know, gone on to have success that you don't have those spots in your season, Uh, but you know, you, you try to stay the same. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low. And that was a good wake-up call for us, no doubt.
5: You're 5-1. and one, You still you still feel good about yourself, I guess you can say, until the next morning you go to the team meeting, and John Fox lets you have it like you wouldn't believe. We didn't see that side of John. At least I had never seen it. And he just berated us, and he just he let us have it. And basically, at the end, it was like, hey, I'm going to protect you to the media. I won't throw you under the bus. But it was like, I remember we walked out and some of the guys were like, my gosh, we're 5-1. We're not 1-5. But that was, he knew we were a good football team. And that was just to let him know, hey, that standard wasn't there yesterday. I don't know what it was, the whole week or everything. And that, that that was to John Fox.
15: He pounded us. We got back to the fundamentals that he established when he first got here in 2002 when he said that we're a little bit soft, and he challenged everybody. We're going to be smart and tough, and we got back to it, and that week, that practice after the Tennessee game, that, that was just brutal.
8: The Panthers' record stood at 5-1 and one after a humbling loss to the Titans. The following week... The cardiac cats found their footing on the road.
3: And that should do it. That'll be the last play of regulation. And for the third time this year, on the road, the Carolina Panthers will go into overtime. And you've got to certainly like the odds because they've won in Tampa. They have won at Indianapolis in overtime. And now we're here in the Superdome in New Orleans. And we've come to the end of regulation. Four quarters in the books. John Casey trying to end this one. Snap. Kick is up by Casey, and it is good! And the Panthers have done it again for the third time this season, going on the road and winning in overtime. John Casey's won all three with field goals, this one from 30, and the Panthers are now 6-1 and still riding high in the
8: NFC South. The next week, Carolina went to Houston for the first time that season team historian David Monroe
2: went into my hotel room and there was a uh, bottle of Super Bowl 38 wine on my bed from the uh, city of Houston Super Bowl host committee I still have that bottle of wine it hasn't been opened. but hey maybe that was an omen that we'd be going back
8: in week nine against the Texans the Panthers offense Hardly resemble the championship contender.
3: All right, one second to go. The Panthers at their 29 yard line. DeLohm under center. And he is back to pass. Over the middle to Nick Goings. Lateral to Steve Smith. Smith up to the 50 yard line looking for some help. Breaks a tackle. He's still going at the 35. Smith to the 30. Trying to pitch it it to somebody. It's a fumble down around the 30. Big pileup. And this one is over. That was our best play of the game. Yeah.
2: Panthers dominated the first quarter, maybe even the first half. But We just couldn't convert our offense into points that game. When you give up 14 points in the NFL, you expect to win. We didn't win that day.
8: Having lost two of three, Carolina returned home for a rematch with defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay. In week two, the Panthers clipped the Bucks 12-9 in overtime thanks to three blocked kicks and a sterling effort from the defensive line. This time, Mike Minter and the secondary set the tone early on.
3: All right, third down and five, Tampa from their 21. Three receivers and a little group triangle to the left for Brad Johnson. Panthers rush four. He was looking for Kai and already all the way. Johnson feeling some heat throws. It's picked off. Mike Minter has it.
7: When I caught it, and was able to get up and get to my feet, I knew I was going to score a touchdown.
3: To the 25, onto the 10, five, better's gone, touchdown Panthers, 29 yards.
7: And and
8: then from that moment, man, it just, this is electrifying. The Panthers dominated the Bucks through three quarters.
3: Back to throw at the long. a lot of time, steps up deep downfield for Ricky Pro. got it, 20, 15, 10, five, touchdown Carolina. Oh, my goodness, what a bomb by DeLome. Johnson back to throw. Again, peppers in his face. He avoids the rush. Now he's brought down from behind and sacked at the 45-yard line by Al Wallace.
8: Carolina led a 20-7 heading into the fourth quarter. The Bucks' first offensive touchdown of the game came with 10-29 to go in regulation.
3: Johnson wants to throw. Back to pass. Oh, he got pounded as he threw the football, but it's caught by Keyshawn Johnson. Right corner. And is that a touchdown? Yes. Yes.
8: But that wasn't the play that swung the pendulum. Offensive lineman Kevin Donnelly.
11: This game is going really well until they do this thing in the stands they used to do, and it was ended this very game. They go around and let fans get on the microphone and say, like, hey, guys, let's keep going. Go Panthers. You guys are doing great. Time to score. Go to, you know, get the, everybody get fired up.
8: Jake DeLome and the Panthers couldn't believe what they just heard.
5: Uh, we were on the field, and it's in between because it's a TV timeout. We're on the field, and, and I'll never forget because you just kind of – you're in the huddle just killing time and they interview this guy and basically he says and where you at simeon rice and todd stucey the left tackle's like you have got to be kidding me right now they have this
3: uh, little interview thing they do in the stadium during breaks and they talked to a panther fan who was all dressed up with different clothes and hats and he basically called out the Bucks on the PA system. He called out the uh, SAP and Simeon Rice. He got the crowd all jacked up. This is one I'm gonna have to say. Like I blame this on the fans. The Bucks were listening to this too.
14: Out of there, Simeon and Ward. Like bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs>
11: great. You come out of the stands.
14: That's
3: great. Do it when we when we're on defense. Well, that'll be the last time we run that promotion in the (laughs) stadium. (laughs) You gonna give a fan a microphone?
5: (laughs) Sure enough, Simeon makes
3: a play not long after. Galone back to pass, big rush, sacked! Simeon Simeon Rice Rice, back at the 20. Bad promotional idea. Galone back to pass. Has time, not anymore. Another sack and the ball ball came came loose. loose. And the Panthers have it. That was Simeon Rice again from the blind side. Two sacks on that series for Rice.
11: As offensive linemen, there's a fine line between um, we want to have confidence, we want to go out there and just kick a man's butt every single play, but at the same time, we want to help him up and say, "Man, you just slipped. Man, you just fell. I didn't pancake you. It's all good." Because you want to, you know, there's a wrath, there's a, there's an anger and a, a vitriol that just it's waiting to come out if provoked enough.
8: While the Tampa defense was plenty provoked before the game, that wrath, anger, and vitriol. Started brewing in the stands. We were
10: watching them before, and uh, Simeon Rice and and Warren Sapp were like spitting on our logo and and just you know disrespecting us and disrespecting the team. I, I was getting enraged that they just disrespected us on there and thought they could just walk all over us. My name is Joseph Muscarello, A.K.A. the Carolina Prowler, and I was fan. Basically, my outfit was like if I was in the in the wild and I played a panther and put it on my head and my body. I had panther feet, panther claws, and the and the panther mask. So the lady comes over and she says, "You won fan of the game. Um, can you tell us about yourself?" I said, "I was the Carolina prowler, and also that I was not gonna sit here and take it them disrespecting us." And we weren't going to, that the the Panthers were going to kick their butt all the way back to Tampa Bay. Well, the next play, Jake got sacked. And the next play after that, Jake got sacked. And then everybody started looking at me. A little after that, I got out and I went and stood so I could watch the game. And I just was like worried, oh, I'm going to get jumped getting out of here, you know.
3: Johnson back to throw. Pumps, pumps, flings it upfield. And it is caught! Oh, it's a touchdown for McCardell!
10: I got real worried there for a little bit. I said, oh, I'm going to be like um, the guy in Chicago to caught the ball.
8: While the Carolina Prowler was sweating, the Carolina Panthers were on the prowl. Down four in the final minutes. It was time for another cardiac finish
3: in the pocket the to throw with time down the middle of the field Proles open at the 30 and pounded to the turf at the 27 yard line first and 10 panthers Boy, ricky Proles made three catches today and all three have been big gainers from the 27 Delome out of the shotgun blitz yeah. is coming throws it upfield he's got muhammad caught down around the five yard line oh moose with a great catch all right now let's not score too soon <laughs> now, let's just score. You know, picky well, you, know, you know what, Bill, I'll tell you what. Do not just throw that ball up there haphazardly, young man. Just kind of think about it. The Panthers are at the five of Tampa. First down goal. The out of the shotgun has it again. Fires Smith. Caught it. Touchdown. Steve Smith caught it with 106 to go. Oh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> This Sir. is incredible!
10: I was just like, well, that lets me a little bit off the hook. And about that time as we were leaving, I got a call from that um, Channel 36 uh, was at my house waiting to interview, and my wife was not happy. She says, "Um, Channel 36 is sitting here in my living room. Why? She says, you're in trouble now, mister. She said, I didn't tell you to go out there and get no trouble. You went to a, to a game, you know? It, you, you're about to get, get you and
8: my son jumped. <laughs> another week and another dramatic Carolina win.
3: That win over Tampa was big, uh, I think mentally for this team to sweep those guys.
7: Man, it's so
11: fulfilling when when you uh, make people shut up on the field. Even though we ended up winning that game for me and for Todd Stucey, um, we were pissed off and angry in the locker room and to care less than everybody else was celebrating, it was... It was kinda of to us that yeah, the fan can be blamed for this, but the offensive line's the one that looked bad through all of this stuff and I like I got so angry, I, w- I was in the bathroom and tore a paper towel dispenser off the wall and threw it against the showers. And Chris Mangum actually had to come in there and calm me down because reporters are starting to look in there, like, "What's going on? You know, you guys just won a game, everybody's celebrating out here, and somebody's going to town in the a- in the shower area." But um, Anish, that's just the way it was, <laughs> and that's the brand of ball that we played, and that's that's who we were. I'm
5: glad we won it because I promise you, John Fox would have set us straight about we didn't lose the game because of a fan. We lost the game because we didn't execute correctly. So that would have been a, another butt that we probably uh, would have had to listen to.
8: Carolina followed up the Tampa win with another close win against Washington. The Panthers were 8-2. and two. Six of the wins were by three points or less.
2: We felt like an 8-2 and two team. You know, In the NFL, a win is a win. And you go back and look at it, yeah, look at the number of games in the NFL that are decided by seven points or less or three points or less. In the NFL, there are usually... Out of the 32 teams each season, there's usually one team that is head and shoulders above everybody else. There's one team that is just awful. And then the other 30 teams are pretty much even. But the thing that separates those 30 teams from one another during the course of a season are injuries. If you go back and look at the Panthers' uh, roster during the 2003 season and the number of players that ended up on on injured reserve that season, it's one of the lowest numbers in team history. When you have injuries, do you have the depth to overcome them? We had good depth that season. Turnovers, a lot of times in the NFL the teams are so even, the team that wins the game is a team that doesn't beat itself in turnovers and penalties. Go back and look at our turnover margin that year, and the other thing is luck. You gotta have luck. Look at the shape of a ball, the football. It bounces in crazy ways. The ball bounced our way that year. And once you start winning and you get some luck, you start believing in yourself. A team
8: that was one and 15 just two years prior boasted the NFC's best record after Week 11. The Panthers entered the home stretch of the season, eyeing the number one seed in the NFC. At 8-2, Carolina boasted the best record in the conference. But for Jake DeLome and the Panthers, a late season swoon doomed any designs of home field advantage throughout the playoffs.
3: The bitter taste in their mouth again as they leave Texas Stadium. Final score. Dallas Cowboys 24, Carolina Panthers 20. Well, it's over. The Panthers, for the first time in a long time, blew a football game. Final score from Erickson Stadium, Philadelphia Eagles 25, the Carolina Panthers 16.
5: We just can't get that win just to clinch the division. And the
3: Falcons' mastery over the Panthers continues. As our offense makes the worst defense in the league look like the 70 Steelers. Unbelievable. It's over and overtime. Final score from the Georgia Dome, the Atlanta Falcons 20, the Carolina Panthers 14.
5: We knew he was there at some point because we still had three more games left, but it's just that, that elusive win.
8: As December descended, the Cardiac Cats found themselves tongue-tied. And for rookie offensive lineman Jordan Gross, the metaphor was all too real.
1: Bruce Nelson, who was another O-lineman, we were doing his rookie dinner. I was there just enjoying it as a rookie. My my dinner had yet to come. And we get these butterfly shrimp, like these uh, coconut butterfly shrimp. And when food comes, when you're part of a O-line eating together, like if appetizers come, you got to move quick or else they're gone, right? So I grab a big old coconut shrimp and bite down into it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Something stabbed me in the tongue. So. I'm trying to play it cool because I'm a rookie I'm with all these old guys and I'm feeling like with my, like turning my head down into my armpit, you know, trying to hide and feeling it. And as near as I can tell, there was a fish bone in this shrimp and it's now impaled my tongue. Think of a fin on a fish, like the top fin, the dorsal fin, I guess. It has a little bone that kind of provides a rigidity at the nose end of the fin. Well, that somehow through processing got inside this shrimp. So when I took a giant, Three hundred five pound old lineman bite, and it perfectly like my teeth shoved down, and this thing came through the the shrimp flesh and went into my tongue, but it was barbed. So I'm trying to figure out what to do, try to pull this thing out. Well, sure enough, Todd Stoucy catches me messing around he's like. Gross, what's going on? And I'm like, I think there's a fish bone in my tongue. Well, this, everybody had been having wine and drinks, and so this became like, oh my God, the coolest thing ever. So now, next thing you know, I've got Matt Willig and Stu and Jeff Mitchell with a Leatherman, someone had in their pocket, trying to pull this bone out of my tongue. <laughs> We can't get it to go, and I'm like bleeding everywhere. And somehow, Pat Connor, who was our team doctor at the time, happens to be dining at this same establishment. So he stops his dinner, he takes me to his office, numbs up my tongue, cuts it out, and sends me back to dinner. My tongue was all swollen. You don't do stitches on a tongue, evidently. So I just sat there, and they you know, they were laughing at me. By the time I got back, it was like almost over. But I just remember thinking, like, what a lo- what a loser! What, ha- what happened here? You know, this is such a rookie move. That was the rookie dinner experience for me, my welcome to the NFL moment.
8: The Panthers were reeling. They had lost three straight games. They had missed multiple chances to clinch the division. Longtime Panthers broadcaster Jim Zoki.
14: That's the reality of the NFL. It's a long season, Uh, even then when it was 16 games. I mean, they went 11 and 5, even with a three game losing streak late in that season. The good thing for them was it wasn't that competitive of a divisional race. You know, they had built enough of a buffer where they had space to do that. But you want to be playing your best football late in the season. I mean, football really is about who's playing their best football heading into the playoffs. And this was a team that clearly started heading uh, the other direction. Kind of like, ooh, has the magic worn off at the wrong time here in December? There certainly was some trepidation and maybe some concerned about this team maybe played their best football already and maybe they're starting to wear down as the season goes on.
8: For a team that had won so many close games it was fair to wonder if a regression was inevitable. Offensive lineman Kevin Donnelly.
11: There's a lot of pressure because you start counting games you start seeing where everyone else in the division is can you clinch this week we didn't clinch well we can clinch the next week we've seen teams lose out
14: i mean we've seen teams that are like running away with their divisions and having the best record in football that completely flatten out defensive
15: lineman al wallace I think that it's it's not a done deal at eight and two and it, it goes back to what I said in the Tennessee game right you're feeling good you're feeling you're at the top of the NFC South how can we get this done uh, you're thinking now teams are maybe afraid that you're the Carolina Panthers you're gonna come out there Steven Davis is gonna run for 150 yards and you know Steve Smith is gonna have nine catches for a hundred plus yards and we got the best defense in the league, right? We got the best defensive front in the league. And people put a target on us. and. We didn't respect that. We didn't respect the game enough. And that's a, I think that was a lesson that we all kind of learned through the process that no one was going to lay down for us because we were eight and two. Uh, I think a lesson learned for us was to just go out there and and get back to the basics. It it really is a cliche thing, but we weren't a fancy team. We didn't have the fancy quarterback. We had a budding superstar wide receiver. Uh, We had some old and young guys look at Ricky Manning Jr. and what he was able to do in his rookie season for us. Um, we just went out there and got back to the basics and decided we are going to fly out
8: to Arizona. We weren't coming back without some hats. As the Panthers boarded their cross-country flight for a Week 15 tilt with Arizona, a team that had shown so much poise under pressure now started to feel the weight of expectations. Quarterback Jake DeLone.
5: Everybody feeling the pressure. There's no doubt. You try not to say it, but you can sense it. You can feel it because two years removed, this team is 1-15.
8: Defensive back, Mike Minter. It was tough because we
7: knew all we had to do was win one game. Right? And uh, I think the, the pressure of one game and we champs, right? I, I think that, you know, became a thing. And, and I think coach did a great job of alle- alleviating the pressure during that week with Arizona.
12: You know, I always used to tell him, we were two games away from disaster, even at that point. And it happens. It comes. I've just been through it too many times. And so we went on that three-game slide. You know, we just had to get him out of that funk and, uh, uh, you know, keep him positive, uh, loosen up the mood a little bit. He told us to relax. Practices became fun.
7: It, it became light. He was more relaxed throughout the week. You know, doing practice, doing meetings, um, having fun. But that's how you do it. It's the only way you do it. is you got to get people's mind on on other things other than trying to clinch the division championship. Because it was tough, man. I swear, because we just losing game, we're like, man, you know, the demons are coming back. We're like, no, we're not going to let the demons come back. We're going to get this done. Um, so for three weeks, you're battling yourself.
8: When the game started, a relaxed and ready Mike Minter got the Panthers off to a roaring start.
3: Back to throw, McCown swings it high, and it's picked off! Back comes Mike Minter for Carolina, far sideline 20, 10-5, touchdown! After that moment,
7: like you know, we still got some football to play, but um, after that moment, it was it was like, we're going to win this game. Everybody on our sideline knew uh, we were going to win win the game, and that was the play to um,
8: break break the tension that we've been feeling for the last three weeks. While Minter gave the Panthers an early lead, the game was far from over. Jake Deloma, and the offense struggled in the first half.
5: They give Arizona credit, they were throwing the football all over the yard, playing hard because they had a little snotty-nosed second-year quarterback, Josh McCown, who's now our quarterback coach, and they had a rookie-wide receiver named Anquan Bolton. So... Uh, Give him credit.
3: And McCown's going to bootleg it out near side right, being chased down there by Terry Cousin. He's at the 10, he's at the 5, towards the right pylon. Touchdown, Arizona! Josh McCown making like Michael Vick.
8: The Panthers' lone first-half score was Minter's pick six. Meanwhile, Arizona took a halftime lead... Thanks to an NFL legend.
3: First and goal, Arizona from the floor. Hand off to Smith, cuts it out to the left. Nice stutter step. He'll take it in. Touchdown, Emmett Smith.
5: At halftime, we're in the locker room, and you could just feel the tension. Richard Williamson, our receiver coach. Richard, may he rest in peace, played at Alabama. You know, and everybody says the same thing. Coach Richardson, even Musin Muhammad and Steve Smith, you know, just crusty and kept them on their toes. He chewed us out as a football team before we went out and he just let us know like enough's enough grow up and go finish it and everybody was like you know Richard's right
8: in the third quarter a John Casey field goal cut the Panthers deficit to four early in the fourth a dynamic running back put the cardiac cats in front
3: Back to throw again, DeLome. Pumps, pumps, pumps again, now throws it up top. Foster got it, 2-1, is the end. No, down inside the one yard line. Deshaun Foster caught the ball down the near sideline. Good throw by DeLome. And now the Panthers have thrown the red flag. They think Deshaun Foster got in the end zone.
2: After reviewing the play, the receiver's foot hit the pylon. And the ball was over the plane. Therefore, it is a touchdown.
8: But Arizona looked poised to play spoiler. The Cardinals tied the game at 17 with a little more than a minute left. It set the stage for a cardiac finish.
5: Game went back and forth, back and forth. And then we had a two-minute drive. And why they tried to play Steve Smith man-to-man, I'll never understand.
8: (laughs) The chemistry between Jake DeLome and Steve Smith had been building all season long, or perhaps bubbling all season long.
5: I think we were both young, still wet behind the ears, not a lot of experience.
9: Truth or lie? All right, here's the lie. Man, he was just dynamic. The truth? We would bicker like two sisters about everything. He would get mad at me on depth. I would get mad at him on velocity. And it was to the point that if we weren't arguing, something was wrong. I give you an example of our normal. We'd be in the huddle, they call a play, and he would say something like, you gonna get your depth? Can you get the ball there? Stuff like that. Um, Then as we became really, really good, it was, what route do you want? What route do you believe you can throw?
5: We just kind of grew together. I knew how talented he was, and I'm going to throw him the football, and I think he knew that I wasn't afraid to throw him the football, and it just kind of one of those. It was the perfect storm.
3: Jake DeLome would never hesitate. There could be four guys covering Steve Smith, and Jake would put it up there and expect him to make a play.
9: And then it became where it wasn't we were bickering. It was the expectation from each other.
3: And Steve Smith, in turn, would expect the ball be coming his way no matter how many guys were on him and he would make the play. I think that's the the chemistry they had.
5: You know, as much as, you know, he might have talked and Steve didn't talk much in the huddle. Steve did not talk much in the huddle. He never came back and said, "Hey, I'm wide open or he never did anything like that." that and I think it's probably surprises people. Um, but it was more so if I missed him or something the only thing he would have would have gotten the huddle, and he would have just said, "Hey," and he would have gave me a look, and I said, "I missed you. I didn't see you." And he and he would he would have nodded, and I said, "All right, I'll get you." And if he dropped the pass, I he wouldn't look at me. I one, I wasn't gonna berate him, but he wouldn't look at me because he was just so
14: devastated.
3: I think they did a uh, Bojangles commercial or something.
14: Steve's just one of those players that really feeds off the fans.
3: Um, literally. So they were even building on this off the field, the fact that they were, they were close not only uh, in, in the locker room but in real life as well. Uh, maybe you should
5: work the counter for a while, Jake. Okay, boss.
13: Got a want need to get a half of
5: We just hit it off.
8: On that final drive, the Panthers had the answer for Arizona's defense. It was DeLome throwing to Smith.
3: So DeLome and company moving left to right. Hoping to get John Casey on the field to try to win this game.
5: I just remember they started playing Steve one-on-one. And I was like, this is not right. And I called all the two-minute plays at the line. I'm like, no, no. They're not doing. Am I seeing things? So I would just take the ball, throw it to Steve.
3: And here's Dalome with a blitz coming, and he goes near sideline. Smith makes the catch and out of bounds. Take the ball, throw it to Steve. DeLome, short drop, flings it over far side. Smith again.
9: Man, we have figured out we we were pretty darn good. They were outmatched, and the Arizona Cardinals at the time they were setting their ways that they had believed at some point, even though the first three quarters would indicate that that wasn't the case, that they were going to play man coverage and we took advantage of it.
3: 52 seconds to go in regulation. We're tied at 17. Again, DeLome in the pocket. Swings it out far side to Smith. Makes the catch and is just driven back into the turf.
9: Earlier in the game, we, we tried to establish the run, and that's what really got us behind a little bit. We're running up against a brick wall, and we switched even though they didn't switch and we went to the pass game, and that's what really helped
3: us. Blitz is coming. Back to throw, to Lome. fires far side. Smith has it, goes out of bounds at the 37-yard line.
5: Steve's just difficult to guard, and uh, and they they're, they're scared of it, so they're gonna play off. So I would just, you know, I actually use my brain for once and just kind of take what <laughs> took what they gave me.
3: Another quick out to Smith makes the catch yep, out of sir. bounds at the 31-yard line, and with eight seconds to go, it's time for John Casey, and
5: we just methodically went down the field till we got in field goal range and John was going to come out to kick,
3: and there was no doubt John was going to make the kick, and we were going to win the division. So John Casey comes on for a field goal try of 49 yards from the left hash mark. Sauerbrunn will hold. If it's good, the Panthers would be just seconds away from a division title. We're ready to go, snap, placement, Casey's kick is up, it is on the way, it is good! John Casey drills it from 49 yards out, four seconds to go, four seconds to a division title. Have the Panthers have taken the lead 20 to 17 over Arizona.
8: John Casey's 49 yard field goal was his fourth game winning kick of the season.
14: I mean, you think about all those games we talk about going overtime and on the road. They were decided by threes, not sixes and sevens. So, this is um, that's John Casey being clutched, too. We talk about Jake DeLon being clutched. Not only was John Casey a prolific scorer, accurate, strong leg, all the things you need from a great kicker. I mean, he was, uh, when the chips were down, he was that guy that, that came through for you. That needs to be remembered as much as anything. Was to get to that point where you could even reach a Super Bowl, it took a guy like John Casey being reliable and just being that that constant.
5: No, John Casey was. Uh, we were so confident. Just hey, when you get to overtime. The first thing I did was I'd look at Mike McCoy and Jim Skipper, like hey, what, what do we need to get? Skippy would always give me the timeouts, and Mike was like, hey, thirty-six yard line, thirty-five. Just get just get near it. John's kicking the field goal.
15: I just don't know if the guy's heartbeat got over sixty. Speaks for a minute. That's how he's built. His faith and what he believes in and his confidence in himself is what I believe made him the best kicker in in this franchise's history to go out there and make all those. He is he is the Cardiac Cats. That's how they coined that phrase. Is on the foot of John Casey, man. He got us out of a lot of terrible situations, and he won a lot of football games for us.
8: Mighty Casey's kick delivered more than a win. It gave the Panthers the NFC South title and a huge sense of relief.
11: Going in a locker room to celebrate when they going get the first division title, Oof, it was it was fantastic. We had a good time, but a lot of that was you know. <laughs> we checked that off. Next thing now, let's build momentum and try and do something in the playoffs. It was sense of
15: relief, you know, thinking about what we poured into it in the summer, thinking about all the work, all the battles, the cardiac cats, the fan base that had been so good to us that, man, we cannot believe we are here after a 7-9 season, following up a, a 1-15 season, and now we have an opportunity to make some noise in the playoffs.
12: That was a big win to go out there. It's a long trip and uh, that can wear on teams as well. It's late in the season, you know, just the season wears on a team. And you know, that was a big catapult, you know, late in the season. It's kind of a second win, so to speak. what I remember about going into the locker room, man, I mean, we
7: had the hats, the t-shirts, the champagne. We excited about the fact that we did it. We hugging each other. We crying because think about all the years that, that we've been there. I'm talking about the guys that have been there from the beginning of the, of the struggle. And, man, it, it was a, a joyous moment to be a part of because there's nothing like pressure being released.
1: I didn't know we got cool hats and T-shirts. That was the best part with me. <laughs> When we went into the locker room, we had NFC South champions hats, and I was thinking, oh, how did they make these already? Like, You know what I mean? Like, I was just, everything was so new, and I was so ignorant to how anything worked that that was pretty funny that I was just so happy that we got free hats.
2: See Jackie Miles and Don Tone are passing out the division championship hats and T-shirts, that's something that this team earned. It wasn't given. and it started back you know, for the players in training camp, but for the front office and the drafts and free agency leading up to that. There are key moments throughout the season, but all three phases, offense, defense, special teams. But I think that team knew we weren't done. There's still more work to accomplish.
13: Winning that game right there now makes it tangible, and it, it kind of whets your appetite to go like this, I can win a Super Bowl. You know, and every player in that locker room wants to win the Super Bowl. Every every player, that's what you play for. You play for money and you play for Super Bowls. That's what you play for. And now you're like, hey, let's not mess this up. Everybody do their
8: job. Let's not mess this up. That's the chatter in the locker room because now you realize that this is tangible. With a division title secured, the Panthers polished off an 11-win season with easy victories against the Lions and the Giants. The win against New York was especially sweet for John Fox the former Giants defensive coordinator.
12: Whether you're a player or a coach and you're competing against an old team, uh, you, you know the people in the organization, you know some of the players. You know, everybody knows that's a big thing in the NFL. You know, Mike Strahan, who I was very close to, is still there. The ownership, uh, you know, you're part of their family. I there five years, so you do get close to people. But, you know, when you compete against your friends, you know, you compete a little bit harder.
8: The Cardiac Cats were postseason bound for just the second time in franchise history. Carolina would host Dallas in the wildcard round, a game that would give the Panthers franchise its beating heart. After multiple missed chances to clinch the division, Carolina secured a division title with a road win at Arizona. The Panthers would claim the number 3 seed in the NFC and host the Cowboys in a first-round game. At that point, Carolina's only playoff win in franchise history came against Dallas back in 1996.
14: I can't even remember the pregame. You know, the teams line up on different sides of the 50, go through their stretches and all this, and um, one of the Cowboys' helmets had rolled across the 50 onto of the Panthers' side of the 50 pregame, and Bill Polian, the GM, Picks the helmet up and flings it back across the other side. Like he was setting the tone for the day. And it was such a physical, surprising beating.
3: Aikman back to pass from his own seven. Puts it up down the middle of the field. Intercepted by Sam Mills. Fittingly, Sam Mills with the interception at the end of the game, which sealed the win. And I'll never forget Sam talking to Jim Zoki in the locker room.
14: Sam Mills had never won a playoff game, and what that meant to him, to have that big interception at the end, to take it all the way down to the one, and to get his first playoff win on top of that, I mean, he was tearing up. He was really emotional about that.
3: Literally choking up, and he's the guy that sealed the deal in the win over Dallas.
8: For the Panthers, the playoffs began with a home date against the Cowboys on wild Card weekend. In its ninth season of existence, it was Carolina's second playoff appearance. It was also the second meeting of the season with the Cowboys. Carolina went to Dallas in Week 12. Rookie left tackle Jordan Gross.
1: I remember that Leroy Glover is a grown man that I couldn't move an inch off the ball. He was a defensive tackle for them that just incredibly talented. That was a hostile environment in the old stadium there with that, you know, open, partially open dome and the AstroTurf. It was fast. Um, They had a good game plan for us. And at that point in time, we were just a kind of a team to watch a team that you whenever you're on a team that has a good record going or a good streak, you can tell that the other team is a little bit more geared up to play you, and that's definitely how that
3: Dallas game was the first time. Quincy Carter in the shotgun. Stunt coming, Carter fakes, pumps down the middle of the field. Goes. touchdown. Back to throw to Loam. has time. Oh, the ball floats in the air, and it's picked off. Bootleg by Carter, back to pass, fires into the end zone, and it's caught. Oh, and a marvelous catch, touchdown, Dallas. And who knows, these teams may meet again. In the postseason, and this one is over, with a bitter taste in their mouth again as they leave Texas Stadium. Final score: Dallas Cowboys 24. Carolina Panthers 20.
8: Although Dallas got the best of Carolina in the regular season, these weren't the Cowboys of the '90s. The halcyon days of Aikman, Emmett and Irvin had passed. Jake Delome knew the Panthers were the better team.
5: They were losing. There's, there's no doubt. Like, we lost to them in November. Like, they were losing this playoff game. There was no doubt.
8: We was going to beat them like a drum. They didn't have a shot. It wasn't just Steve Smith and DeLome who had confidence and conviction. It started with John Fox and the coaching staff.
12: You know, we uh, assumed they were going to, you know, use, you know, pretty much the same game plan. And, uh, you know, we just had a, a way better answer For what they did to us in the regular season, in that playoff game, and you know they blitzed us a lot, and you know you live by the blitz, you die by the blitz. And that that game, we we executed really well both in protection and in the passing game, Uh, because you got to be precision, you got to be precise in how you do things when they're pressuring you like that. And our guys handled it really, really well.
9: It was what we experienced and what we went through the first time playing against Dallas. And and we walked in and we got hit in the mouth. So we knew we were going to get hit in the mouth. So it was, hey, button up your chin strap, put your mouth guard in, you know, get your rest. We were not expecting a dogfight. We were looking for a dogfight. They went to hit us in the mouth. And the first time we played, we took it. The second time at home in the playoffs, we ducked.
8: But then we counterpunched punching back was something Sam Mills knew all about. The hero of the 96 playoff win against Dallas was now Carolina's linebacker's coach. Defensive back Mike Minter played with and for Sam Mills.
7: Let me tell you, man, I'm a hitter. And people stop and watch me hit people, right? And I'm on the field with Sam. Now, this is the first time in my life that this has happened. We play in New Orleans, and he hit the running back so hard. Like I'm, I'm coming in to get the tackle, and then he comes from something. Oh, it was like a, a cannon when he hit the dude, and I felt the dude, and he was he was like, oh, you know, like made a noise, and I stopped in my track, and I said, man, I have never. Ever, I'm saying this in my head see somebody hit somebody that hard. And and I would remember that like it was yesterday because the impact at which he came was uh, man, I was in awe. And, and I've never been in awe with somebody on the football field. Now I'm in the middle of the game. Boy, that right there to me exemplifies who he was as a person because his spirit was all in what he did. He gave Everything he had to every game.
8: For Mills, his fight began before the 2003 season even started. Team historian David Monroe.
2: It's crazy. We had a preseason game at Green Bay in 03. I remember riding on a golf cart from the locker room to the press box with Sam. No idea anything is wrong with him. And then... Right before the final preseason game against the Steelers here, we put out a press release saying that Sam has cancer. And you're just in complete shock. Just a few weeks earlier, you announced that one of your starting linebackers has cancer. And here, just a couple weeks later, your linebackers coach has cancer. And you're thinking, holy cow, there are things more important than football.
8: Mills had intestinal cancer. Panthers linebacker Mark Fields was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Fields would miss the entire 2003 season, but did return to play for the Panthers in 2004. As for Mills, while his cancer revelation was public, not everyone knew the severity of the diagnosis. Head coach John Fox.
12: I knew early on. Again, you know, I meet with the trainers every day. The trainers would update me. Um, You know, I knew the doctors. You know, I think he even went up to the big hospital in New York uh, for treatment, Um, and I knew the people there. So I was aware, and I think for the most part, the coaching staff was. You know, um, uh, you know, and those were things that were personal. So, uh, you know, a lot lot of people didn't share it with the team, you know, because it's private. But. yeah, you know, I think at the end, I think it, it started to, to show, and uh, I think most of the kind of team knew the severity of it um, as the season wore on.
8: Defensive end, Mike Rucker. We play the sport because we
6: love it, and it's a game. At the end of the day, it's a game that we get paid to do. We played the game for free longer than we've been paid for. And so a lot of times that's the way that we, we look at it, right, even though it's a job. But then there's times and situations like Sam, like Mark Fields. Mark Fields was our linebacker who who had, um, had a form of cancer. So all this is going on. So now all of a sudden it's not necessarily the game, it's more personal and this is life, you know? And so Sam humanized that whole situation and it made us one, be thankful for where we were at,
8: but two, play for a different reason and to think about life differently. Despite chemotherapy treatments and its side effects, Mills continued in his role as linebacker's coach.
12: Well, if you you knew Sam Mills, you would have never expected anything different. You know, the fact that he got cancer was, you know, just ironic to me because a guy could never have lived a life helpless. Than Sam Mills. Um, I mean, he took care of himself. He trained. He, you know, wasn't a drinker. wasn't a smoker. I mean, he, he took exceptional care of himself. And then, you know, for something like that to, you know, take over his body and watch how he handled it, strength he showed and positive energy he brought to the people around him, uh, you know, just speaks volumes, volume to the to, to the man he was and was at that moment. The way
6: that he was conducting himself looked like he was battling and he was beating it and he was pushing it back. And so for me personally, that's where I was at. Now, obviously, we don't know what's going on inside and what the doctors are saying, but at, at the time, it looked like he was doing
8: it and that uh, he was beating it and he was going to beat it. Carolina was set to host Dallas on Saturday, January third, two 2004. Offensive lineman. Kevin Donnelly.
11: This was something that Coach Fox instituted during the season where he would have a player speak to the team late in the week before you're uh, going to play that next
12: opponent. You know, give him a day to prepare. I think I used to tell him on Fridays, you know, and it didn't matter whether we were on the road or at home. And I never coached him up on what to say. Part of the concept of letting, you know, somebody speak is, you know, to let them speak from their heart.
8: As for what took place on January 2nd, 2004 here's team historian David Monroe
2: there's a lot of different stories about that there were no cameras there pretty much every recollection is a is off of someone's memory
8: Panthers quarterback Jake DeLome recalls the eve of the big game
5: we stayed in the hotel the night before the game the Westin, and the game wasn't until like eight that evening And so that's long, just staying all day long. So, what John did, we we ended up getting the buses, which, and the bus just put us and it drove us around to Cedar Street, the other side of the practice field. And we just got out and we kind of walked on the practice field and just kind of just fresh air.
12: I just knew Sam had a lot, you know, going on in his life. Um, I had no idea what exactly he would say.
8: What Sam Mills said still echoes today. Kevin Donnelly remembers.
11: I remember having taken a knee and seeing his silhouette in front of me with the backdrop of the Charlotte city skyline and hearing this man quietly talk about the battle that he's gone through. All you can do with adversity and obstacles and difficulties is just to keep going along, do what you do and just organically said, you know, you just, you gotta keep going. You've gotta keep fighting. It's like you just got to keep pounding, you know, and and you do it long enough, you're going to break through. And we can do that. We've been doing all season, just keep pounding. This is the first playoff game we've had at home. This is the team that beat us during the regular season, but we've done great all week. We just keep pounding. We start the game out great. Keep pounding through it. Keep working. Keep grinding. We're going to have success.
8: Defensive lineman Al
15: Wallace. To hear the words, we knew, you know, keep pounding meant, Ch- keep chopping wood. We hear those things all the time, but I think at that moment, we knew that that was something that he was leaving us with. Wide receiver Steve Smith. I was watching a man with
9: an illness that you didn't know the outcome, and yet he was talking to us as if he knew the outcome.
5: I don't know if we truly knew how sick he was. We knew he wasn't well, but he didn't show it. He coached every day. And so, it wasn't until you start getting, I mean, this is the first time we ever heard a Keith Powell. You know, it wasn't like, but it was just like, Wow. You know what I mean? Just – and it just – they weren't winning. I know we keep saying that. Like, we were beating that football team. There was no doubt uh, we were going to beat that football team. And then as it went on, you, you, you live in the moment. I think that's the biggest thing. And then after, when you take a step back, you're like, okay, wait a minute. That was big what just happened. That speech, the play, you know, just everything about it. That's, this is going to be big one day. But I just think we were so dialed in and focused that it maybe got, I don't know, it didn't get lost because everybody remembers it. But it was just, it was just part of the
2: process. That's not the first time Sam had ever talked about keep pounding. Go back to 1995, the team had started out 0 and 5. And Sam, just as he was as a leader, as a coach, was a leader in that locker room. And he told his teammates to keep pounding keep pounding that is a phrase that Sam or a motto a mantra that Sam used throughout his life so it it just didn't have it it just didn't resonate for when he had cancer and on that particular day that is something that Sam lived by and he shared that with the team.
8: Wide receiver Musin Muhammad.
4: All the teammates you know the entire team there you know felt the pain that he was going through and for Sam to show up every day the way he was and he was battling what he was battling um, was an amazing testament of kind of man he was, the kind of teammate he was. And, you know, sitting out on that field that day, going through that walkthrough and then hearing that speech, um, we were all lifted. I think we were all lifted. I think we were all emotionally lifted. And it guided us through the next, next few games. Defensive end, Julius Peppers. It was a special moment that turned into the foundation for, for, for this organization.
8: When the Panthers opened the postseason against the Cowboys, the national narrative centered predictably around Dallas. The Cowboys were back in the playoffs for the first time in five years, and under Hall of Fame head coach Bill Parcells, Dallas boasted the NFL's number one defense. But on that day, they stood no chance.
3: Goes up and catches it. Breaks a tackle. Forty down the field. Fifty. Can anybody catch him? He's to the thirty. He's to the twenty. Ten. Five. Oh. out at the one yard line. Davis up the middle. Twenty. Turns outside. Fifteen. Ten. Five. Davis touchdown. Stallone back in the pocket. Downfield it goes for Steve Smith with coverage there. He went up and got it. Touchdown. What a catch! Blitz is coming by Terry Cousin. Carter throws over the middle and it's intercepted. Julius Peppers coming back the other way. 30, 20, Peppers 15 and down to the 11 yard line. What an effort tonight by Carolina, 29-10 the final.
15: For us, it meant the world that a guy would give his time Sacrifice, maybe being with his own family and his kids, that he felt a part of this team, and that we were going to fight and do everything we could to take him as long as possible. At some point during that year, I know we had the conversation hey, maybe this is why he's fighting so hard. Every single game we win, every playoff opportunity, maybe that's going to pull him along even further.
8: Despite a terminal diagnosis, Sam Mills would make it through the entirety of the 2003 season. End the 2004 calendar year. Mills passed away on April 18, 2005. But Sam's spirit lives on in two eternal words: Keep. Keep 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 pounding. It has become the soul stone and the beating heart of the Carolina Panthers.
0: The Panthers are celebrating their annual Keep Pounding Day by serving the community.
8: Hey, appreciate
14: all the Panthers fans rocking with us. Got a big
0: home win. You know what it is, until next week. Keep pounding, baby, let's go.
11: I'd never waver, you know, in my belief in what we're doing and how we're doing it and what it takes to win. I I know what the answer is. It's not easy. Who are we going to be? And are we going to keep fighting? And are we going to keep pounding? And uh, I believe we will.
6: So I've been able to see this organization grow. And the guys that have come in, the coaching staff, and there's been some highlight moments, right? And there's been some, some history moments. But as far as a groundbreaking DNA moment, that was it. That was it, hands down that kind of
11: culture resonated throughout that building. The fans and everyone, it just resonated with me because it felt like we were every man's team. Keep Pounding really had its roots with Mr. Richardson acquiring the franchise. Because there was no step in the process where he wasn't met with obstacles, doubt, people saying it wouldn't work, there weren't big enough a market. Any wrong turn here or there that this franchise could have ended up in another city.
6: This is part of this building and this team's DNA, right? That doesn't go away, right? You don't take your your blood cells out of your blood. Like, it doesn't work that way. Keep Pounding is part of us. And anybody that puts on this uniform, puts on a t-shirt or the hat, or is employed with this organization, it should be someone's duty inside the building or outside the building or in the community to tell the story of Keep Pounding.
9: The chant of Keep Pounding may seem small, But for the men that who experienced it it is who we are you take that away from us you take away every legend every person in this city but keep pounding was given to us by a man who was thinking about other people so understand keep pounding is not a mantra it's not words it is exactly who we are
8: The cardiac cats carried their heartbeat into January. Carolina won the NFC South and returned to the postseason for the first time in seven years. The Panthers opened the playoffs by smashing through Dallas's top-ranked defense in a 29-10 home win. For the divisional round, Carolina hit the road to face St. Louis, the NFC's top-scoring offense.
2: Greatest show on turf. Greatest show on turf. Greatest show on turf. Greatest show on turf.
8: The Rams had played in two of the previous four Super Bowls. Inside the Edward Jones Dome, St. Louis had been invincible. The Rams entered the divisional round on a 14-game home win streak. In 2003, St. Louis averaged almost 34 points per game at home. We knew they had some really
9: good players, but we also, I think, the team was shaped a little bit differently.
3: Warner's not the quarterback anymore. Bulger is. Marks is the head coach, not meal, but still a lot of talent, including Marshall Falk. It was still the greatest show on turf.
15: Still the greatest show on turf. It was scary. How do we stop Marshall Falk, Tory Holt, uh, Isaac Bruce? We didn't know if we could do it.
8: The last time Carolina played in St. Louis was during the miserable 1-15 campaign two seasons prior. The Rams smashed the Panthers 48-14, totaling almost 500 yards of offense, including 337 on the ground. Trying to turn the corner and no
3: Look out! Down the near sideline! He's gone! 40-30-20! and the Rams score, opening drive. Marshall Falk, 70. 71-yard pitch around the left corner. The Falk turning outside, right lot of running 1-ball 30. Marshall Falk to the 40, cuts back left at midfield. Back to throw, slant over the middle, picked off, intercepted, touchdown, St. Louis. So it was all St. Louis today. The spread was 19 coming in, and it could have been 30 and they'd have covered.
8: The divisional round showdown with St. Louis was a collision of finesse and power. The Rams burst against the Panthers' brawn. Head coach, John Fox.
12: They had great skill and they executed very well. And, uh, you know, we were going to have to have a good plan and execute that plan. And, uh, you know, both on offense and defense, because they weren't slouches on defense either. Uh, And you get in that dome, it gets loud. You know, they can cheat the snap count. You know, our players handled it really, really well uh, because that, that was a tough environment.
8: Defensive end.
12: Al Wallace. We know the
15: receivers are going down, right? They don't want any hits. We know uh, some short yard is Marshall Faulk. He's pulling up, right? We got Brinson Buckner in there. He's making some big hits. Deion Grants, they're coming up. Uh, they're dialing up the blitzes. We're attacking them now, right? So now we're not sitting back and saying, hey, can we contain the greatest show on turf? We're being more aggressive. We're bringing
8: blitzes and we're daring Bulger to make plays down the field. The Rams were able to get inside the Panthers 10-yard line Three times in the first half, former Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski.
3: That was a defense that could lay the lumber on you. Uh, You know, when that field shrinks, it's harder to execute your razzle-dazzle plays and finesse plays and whatever else that the Rams like to do when they had 80 yards to go instead of 10.
8: But each time, Carolina forced St. Louis into a field goal.
3: Jeff Wilkins on for a 20-yard field goal try. Left hash mark snap placement kick is up and it is good right hash mark kick is up and it is good placement kick is up and it is good
8: al wallace knew the value of holding the rams to three
15: it's big. It's huge. And we're doing that. I can, I can just remember Dan Morgan just frothing at the mouth. You just got to keep doing that. Don't worry about anything else. Just get off the field. Everybody find a way to get off the field. Dan's walking up and down from the defensive linemen to the defensive backs. He's just screaming. Just keep getting off the field. Just keep making plays.
8: Steven Davis gave Carolina its best scoring chance of the first half but at a great cost.
3: Panthers will move left to right. They start at their 32-yard line. They trail St. Louis 6-0, 13-18 to go first half. Galloam under center, draw play. Stephen Davis, big hole left side to the 40. Out rushes a tackler to the 50. Down the sideline, 30, 20, and finally caught from behind down at the four-yard line. Wow!
8: Davis, a 1,400-yard rusher, would leave the game with a strained quad.
3: Back to the Panthers sideline. Another Stephen Davis update from Greg Brandon. Greg,
8: Bill, you look at Stephen. The face says
3: yes. The body language says I don't know. Uh, he's trying to loosen that left quad up. Right now, he's sitting on the bench with a heating pad on his upper quad. You know, he's telling everybody, "I'm okay. I'm okay." But uh, I just—he's not moving very well.
15: Our confidence as a defense was rocked when we see our big guy, Stephen Davis, pull up on a long run. And now we're thinking, how are we going to win this? I mean, we I told you we believed in Smoke, we believed in Foster, we, we believe in his ability
8: to carry the load, but we need both of those guys in this game. But Carolina still capitalized on the drive thanks to a fortuitous bounce.
3: Colon barks out his call. Oh, it's a shovel pass. Is it a fumble? Loose ball around the two-yard line. It goes into the end zone, and there's a big pileup. Panthers have it. They say they have it. Dolom says they have it. Is it in the end zone? Is it a touchdown? We have no signal from the officials. (laughs) It's a touchdown for the Panthers. (laughs) Just the way you draw it up.
8: Muhammad's touchdown was the only touchdown of the game through three quarters. In the fourth, Brad Hoover at Carolina dreaming of the NFC Championship.
3: The Panthers who lead by four with 9-10 to go here in the fourth quarter have an opportunity to get a double-digit lead. Yeah, this drive can't be about three points. It no. can't. No, we gotta go ahead. All we need to come up and come up big. And Kevin Dyson is in the ball game for Carolina. Wide left. Foster is in the backfield. First and goal from the seven-yard line. Boulom, quick hitter, Hoover up the middle, five, two, one, touchdown! Brad Hoover, quick hitter from the fullback spot, and there wasn't a blue jersey to touch him.
8: Seven-yard touchdown run. The Panthers led 23-12 with less than three minutes to play. But it wasn't quite
12: curtains for the greatest show on turf. We really kind of screwed up a couple things on defense um, that kind of let them back in the game.
3: Rams break the huddle. Bruce out to the right, hold to the left. Fourth down to St. Louis from the Carolina 38-yard line. Bulger, as Morgan comes on a blitz, floats it downfield, and it's caught at the 20! Falk! Oh, come on! Out of bounds at the 16-yard line. Bulger under center. Third down and 10 from the Carolina 16. He's back to pass again, throws over the middle, there's Falk at the 15, at the 10 to the five, he's got a first down. Bulger, hands off to Falk, looking to turn it outside, cuts left, he's in, touchdown Rams. All right, Rams going for two. Falk's the lone running back, two receivers right, one to the left for Bulger. Bootleg right by Bulger, he throws, it's caught, it's good for two. They got it to Dane Looker, and it's a three-point Carolina lead. A huge play coming up in this fourth quarter. Here's the kick, and it bounces. It's free. It's a free ball near the 40-yard line. I think St. Louis has it. They do.
8: The onside kick recovery told Panthers defensive back Mike Minter that Carolina missed its chance. To slam the door.
7: We thought we had them. We kind of relaxed a little bit because we did think the game was was over. And, and, and for them fools to, you know, come back and, and uh, send it to overtime, now it became a game again. We gotta,
8: we gotta get back out of here. The Rams had a chance to tie on the final play of regulation.
3: All right, here we go from the right hash mark, 33 yard field goal to tie. Snap, kick by Wilkins is up and it is good. We're tied. We're going overtime in the playoffs. Have we ever had any overtime games on the road this season? <laughs> yes, we have. Have we had some of yeah. this?
13: Hey, we used to this pass. Got him right where we want them. Yeah, overtime we're used to this. on the
3: road.
8: The Cardiac Cats were stretched to overtime for the fifth time that season. They had won three of the previous four. In this one, the Panthers would win the coin toss and would receive the overtime kickoff. Under the rules of the day, the first team to score one. and Carolina had its chance.
3: DeLome with the blitz coming, avoids the rush, rolls right, looks downfield, throws, Muhammad's got it, and he's into Ram territory at the 42-yard line. Play action fake, DeLome to throw, lets it go, wide open, Wiggins far side of the field. He's to the 30, hold on to the football to the 20-yard line. Casey's kick is up, it is on the way, and the Panthers are going no, no, chip. no. Delay oh, of game. no. Delay of game. Offense. Oh. Can you believe it? The, the flag came in before the kick even took place. The referee came Oh, my goodness.
8: For head coach John Fox, jubilation was
12: short-lived. We thought we won the game. Sure enough, there was a flag out there. I thought they had to be offsides. But what happened was is they didn't reset the clock. And uh, they called us for delay of game. So that was really the first time we thought we won the game. And uh then had to recoup from that, you know, to continue the game.
3: And then obviously, what was that, a 40-yarder? And then I think Casey had to kick a 45-yarder and miss. Casey ready. Snap is good. Placement's good. Casey's kick is up on the way, and this time the No! Missed it! Ugh!
8: The miss by Casey left the door ajar for the Rams.
3: Second and nine. Bolts deep drop this time. Fires down the middle of the field. That's caught at the 45 to the 39-yard line. Isaac Cruz. All right, Wilkins, the ball's on the left hash mark, kicking right to left. 53-yarder to win it in overtime. Snap, placement, kick is up. And it is short. Yes. Short. Yes. Short from 53. It was on the money, but short. We're still alive. We're still playing. I'm numb. Oh, I don't feel anything. I don't feel a thing. <laughs>
8: The Cardiac Cats got a second chance in overtime, but squandered it.
3: From the Ram, 35, first down. Oh, DeLome is hit, gets up, runs, and they go back to the 38-yard line. They're going to mark him down at the 41. Somebody broke on through. DeLome, play action, sacked. Back at the 45, they all blew through, and DeLome slams the ball in
8: disgust. On the Ram's ensuing possession, they picked up a first down at the Carolina 38. St. Louis stood on the verge of victory.
3: Bulger again. Here comes everybody on the blitz. And we still can't get to Bulger. Throws it downfield. Picked yeah. it off! Yeah. Ricky Manning picked it off at the 35-yard line! Uh, it's a game saver.
12: You get that late into a game, you know, you see things over again. And so, Ricky was very smart for a rookie corner. I um, mean, He had a tremendous playoff run there, but Huge play that uh, he had seen, and you know he responded like a 10-year vet.
8: The Panthers got the ball back at their own 35, but could not move forward.
3: Dalom under center. Draw play. Foster trying to turn it outside. Nowhere to go. Dalom, they pick up the blitz. No, they don't. He avoids it. Dalom still going down at the 31.
8: It was third and 14, and the game had now moved into a second overtime, and the Panthers' season was once again on the brink but this is where Jake DeLome and Steve Smith had thrived even when going off script some of our best
9: plays were mistakes there would be times where I had a seam read and I just told him, hey just hit me up top and I'll protect myself and so there were things where certain angles or certain things that happened that there was a understanding between us I would try my best to protect the throw. And he will try his best to protect my face.
5: He was the best punt returner and kickoff returner in the league, and it wasn't even close. And then he started playing more receiver. And Steve was just, just give him the football. I mean, it's not hard. Like, he is just different with the football in his hand.
8: Steve Smith had emerged as Carolina's go-to wide receiver. In his third season with the Panthers, Smith had blossomed into a star. He had come a long way from his early days in southern california people say it's all
9: oh, he's the napoleon complex sometimes air quotes napoleon is minding his business not bothering anybody and i'm one of those stranger danger guys so i i really don't do the whole walk around look at me i'm like walk around i don't talk but that's always been me like that 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 demeanor i grew up in los angeles right i grew i grew up in a time where there was gangs there were drugs uh, Carjacking. So, I'm just telling you, like, when people see me and sometimes
8: they go, you know, I know who he is. You have no idea who, who I am. Smith played his college ball at Utah, where he was first teammates with Jordan Gross.
1: Same dude, just younger and fireier. and I was probably the most scared of him I ever was was when he was in college, because he was intense, man. That's like the word probably that I should use, intense. And on the field off the field and that was something that was really good for me to be around cuz I wasn't that way as much and I learned a lot from him
8: The Panthers selected Smith in the 3rd round of the 2001 draft His 5 foot 9 frame had some questioning whether he would ever be anything more than a return man When I was
9: drafted by the Carolina Panthers I spent the whole Five, six months, not allowed to practice wide receiver with the first team because I was not
8: deemed a wide receiver. I was deemed a specialist. But in his very first game against the Vikings in 2001, on his very first touch, on the very opening kickoff, Smith delivered an exclamation and a message for his doubters. There was a special teams ace from
9: San Diego State, I don't remember the guy's name, but he had just told me, hey, this isn't Utah anymore. It really triggered me, it just hit me in a way, he kind of made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And I wasn't the, it was one of those things that just wasn't the appropriate time. And so it just hit me, as like, you know, Shazam.
3: We're ready to go. Season number seven, the 2001 NFL regular season is underway. Here's the kickoff. End over end, the rookie Smith from his seven-yard line to the 20. Cutting outside, 30. There he goes. Smith is gone. 40, 30. The rookie on his first touch as a professional all the way
8: for a touchdown. Still, opportunities at wide receiver were rare. But Smith found someone who understood his frustration. The Panthers' five-foot-nine linebacker's coach. That's where my connection
9: with Sam Mills came in, because Sam was always encouraging to me. Sam had saw one day after practice, I did not get one rep with an offense in practice. After being used so much in training camp, then the regular season goes, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's get going. Didn't get one rep. It was extremely discouraging to the point where Sam saw me, Jimmy, Jimmy Hitchcock at the time, and they saw me after practice. I was, I was in tears because I was a third round draft pick. And I never experienced
8: never being allowed in one practice to play wide receiver. Smith only caught 10 passes as a rookie, but he dazzled on special teams. Smith returned two kicks and a punt for a touchdown in 2001. It earned him a trip to the Pro Bowl. Torrey Holt,
9: Isaac Bruce were alternates for the Pro Bowl. And Isaac was the first. Torrey was the alternate and Joe Horn was the second alternate. Isaac doesn't come because they lose to the New England Patriots. Torrey says, no, Joe Horn didn't want to get on the flight. So John Harbaugh says, listen, Jermaine Lewis is a returner for the Baltimore Ravens, and I know he is going to play a little bit of wide receiver because he wants to show his team, and John Harbaugh's Philadelphia Eagles special teams coach, says I, he wants to show that he could play wide receiver. So they're missing a guy. You know how to catch punts. You're at the Pro Bowl. Go over there with the wide receivers. They're down one. Okay. So I go over. Joe Cully is the wide receivers coach. And he tells me, hey, going over with the specialist. And again, disappointed. Not good enough. What he said was go with the specialist. But what my heart and my ears and what I experienced was, you're not good enough, so get out of here. These are for the real receivers. And so I left, and I held on to that because he could have explained it to me, or he could have even actually interacted with me and asked me why I was here, but he
8: dismissed me. After Smith's first season, the Panthers made a coaching change. John Fox replaced George Seifert. And when it came to Steve Smith, Fox had an open mind.
12: He did make the Pro Bowl as a return man. So I think he proved his skill set, you know, to do that, uh, both as a kick and punt returner.
9: When I met with Coach Fox, I said, hey, I want to play wide receiver. I am a wide receiver. He said, "Okay."
12: Early when I got there, it was, you know, Steve can't do this. Steve can't do that. Steve doesn't do this. Steve doesn't do that. And we kind of said, we're going to put him at one position, X. They moved me to X, which is what I played in college. And we're not going to give him, you know, the whole route tree. I mean, he's going to do this, this, this and this. And uh, he was too skilled and too athletic. And, you know, we weren't rolling in talent at that point. You would know, have him sitting on the sideline with me.
8: Smith took a giant leap in 2002, playing wide receiver while still returning kicks. The following season, he broke out. Teammate Al Wallace... He was right. He was the best wide receiver we
15: had. And that's with all due respect to Moose, who was an absolute beast. Like, he he was the best wide receiver out there. The way the guy could jump, his hands were probably as big as mine. Uh, The plays that he made in practice and the explosion from the time he caught the ball to 60 miles an hour going down the field was incredible. Don't make him a gadget guy. Like, don't look at the size. If you look past that and look what this guy is doing, there's not a defensive back. In the nfl that wanted to see number 89 lined up across him because he's going to be a
8: nightmare for 60 minutes in 2003 smith caught 88 passes for more than 1100 yards and supplanted musin muhammad as the team's top wide receiver
4: it was somewhat humbling experience you know um but i was ready to do whatever it took to win at at that at that point in my career and steve was a special talent he was He was a guy that was talented enough that would warrant that, right? I I would, I would be less receptive to the concept if he wasn't capable of fulfilling those shoes. But he was ready for it. I mean, he'd been groomed and he was ready for it, and he embraced that. And I embraced, I embraced that number two spot. I said, I'm gonna be the best number two the team needs. And and I think when you have guys that take that approach on the team, say, hey, it's not about me, it's about winning. Then that's when you really start doing something special despite the on-field accomplishments
8: controversy trailed Smith a public grievance over his contract and an altercation with a teammate during film session gave Smith a certain public persona I had really
9: embraced and kind of was the villain right really didn't uh, I I really did not uh, enjoy the media um, really you know as some people say you know I was I woke up angry at the media but I didn't I just felt that the media had a certain perspective of me and so I was I was lazy and I played to that perspective of they felt that I was pompous and so I, that's how I presented myself to them because I already felt that the article was going to be bad so I was just kind of just like you know it's like uh you know um, I presented myself to the media the way vegetables are it, it, like Brussels sprouts. Some people don't like them, but you need you, you need what Brussels sprouts bring, right? You know, looking back,
8: that hurt, that helped me, but then it hurt me at times. But it is what it is. It, yeah, I'll be all right. But during the magical 2003 season, the self-proclaimed villain wore the hero's cape on multiple occasions.
3: Delope takes the snap, and this is over. Uh-huh. The Carolina Panthers with a stunning... Loads it downfield for Smith at the 10, got it! To the five, step arms, two, one, touchdown! Steve Smith, touchdown Panthers! What a great move by Steve Smith, touchdown! Steve Smith, the out of the shotgun has it again. Fires Smith, caught it, touchdown! Steve Smith caught it with 106 to go! Oh. Are you kidding me? This is incredible!
8: Now, the Panthers, again, needed a hero. It was 3rd and 14 to begin double overtime. A trip to the NFC Championship was at stake. The Rams' defensive front had been dominating. Carolina needed a playmaker and a play. Head coach, John Fox.
12: Yeah, well, part of it was because they were so much cover, too. That means deep halves, two deep safeties. And, uh, you know, you try to, it looks like it's going to be a short route by the widest receiver. And then the inside guy goes up and it looks like he's going to go to the corner where we call it a seven route. And so you get the guy to think that and then he broke to the post. You, you try to make the safety look like a clown.
8: The play was called X-Clown. Quarterback Jake DeLone.
12: We put
5: it in because we watched Cincinnati do it. And Cincinnati had Chad Johnson and Carson Palmer. Well, Chad and Steve were Juco buddies, teammates. And the play was you fake the corner and, you know, you fake going to the corner, the safety opens his hips, and you go right on the inside of him down the field. Well, I was thinking it was all the way down the field. Steve would kind of cut it flat. We could not
8: complete it in practice.
5: We tried. And we tried, and to Dan Henning's credit, he was like, we're running it in the game. Y'all. How many
8: times did it work in practice?
5: None. It never worked in practice. I couldn't throw it to him because I was I was under the anticipation that he was going to go deep. And he would come flat.
9: Everybody always makes it, oh, we couldn't get it. That was That's what practice. Practice is to improve. is not to be perfect. I was running beautiful routes like usual, and Jake just... Jake was in la-la land. I'm not really sure what what was going on with Jake, what he was on. Um, You know, he was on – he was feeling himself. You know, he he had already assigned three or four uh, marketing deals. So, I mean, I just think Jake, he just – you know, he was just on one that day.
5: I think we knew what coverage they were going to be in because anything third and nine-plus or 11-plus, you felt pretty certain they would play this coverage. And you just hope they didn't get home. You hope they didn't get to the quarterback.
3: The Panthers did have, as they look back on this game in the fourth quarter, an 11-point lead, but could not hold on. And now they're faced with a third and 14 from their own 31-yard line. They're now moving right to the left as we start overtime quarter number two. Blitz again coming. DeLone pumps. He's got time. Throws down. Field Smith! at the 45 to the 40! It's free. It's free! 20! 10! 5! Touchdown! Woo! Touchdown, Steve Smith! 69 yards, and we are going to the NFC Championship game.
8: X Clown had the Panthers and Steve Smith basking in the national spotlight. Panthers radio analyst Eugene Robinson. That became
13: the coming out party for Steve Smith. National spotlight. When you make it's difference making plays down here in Bank of America Stadium when nobody sees it. You're on that stage where everybody is waiting for this game and everybody's tuned
8: in. The rest of the NFL now knew what Steve Smith had long known, Panthers defensive back Mike Minter.
7: Well, that he could play football, that he was tough. And that's really what he was just trying to show everybody is that um, that he's a guy that can make plays. He's a guy that was going to be one of the greatest Panthers that ever played. I remember him telling me that. He said, man, my goal, uh, Mike, is one day, um, you know, have my name in the stadium. And, um, man, you know, when people talk that way, um, you know that they're a different guy, right? I mean, they're they not just talking about making the team. It wasn't it was just talking about being a good receiver on the Panthers. He's talking
8: about putting his name in the ring. Longtime Panthers broadcaster, Jim Zoki."
14: He was right. I mean, he backed up everything he said as far as what he's going to be. I mean, he'll be in the Hall of Fame, uh, so he, he's more than backed it up. But, uh, yeah, you, you got to start somewhere. And for him, he had to come in and tell people first because he wasn't getting the opportunity to show them. People look at stature. They look at size. They look at what is uh, cookie-cutter and what is normal as far as what dimensions fit a football player. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Steve Smith, uh, I think because of his upbringing in L.A., having to earn things the way that he did, knew in his soul that he would be good enough to do what he did in the NFL.
8: And rookie offensive tackle Jordan Gross knew in his soul that the Panthers, in overtime, would surely prevail.
1: I never really thought we were going to lose. I mean, it's not because I was a predictor of great talent or anything, but just history had shown that season that, man, we go into overtime, that's ours to win. Oh, Oh, I guess now we're going double overtime. Man, we'll probably win eventually. You know, and sure enough, you know, Jake to Steve, and he's out the gate, and man, the rest is history.
8: The win over St. Louis was Carolina's fourth overtime win of the campaign. The Panthers were one win away from their first Super Bowl. The Cardiac Cats still had a heartbeat. They still had belief. And they had hope.
3: Welcome back to Erickson Stadium, and many of the fans still here savoring the moment. The Carolina Panthers beating the Dallas Cowboys 29 to 10 and advancing in the NFC playoffs. It'll be on to St. Louis next Saturday to take on the Rams. Flicks again, coming, Delove pumps, he's got time, throws down, Phil Smith at the 45 to the 40, it's free. it's the 20, over. 10, 5, touchdown! Woo! touchdown Steve Smith and we are going to the nfc championship game
14: now it's getting real i mean you beat the dallas cowboys pretty handily you beat the team that some most i would say thought was the favorite to win the super bowl you knocked them out in the next round so you're walking out of there knowing you've got to go on the road play a great Philadelphia team in the NFC title game, that is going to be very difficult, but now it's like you've won a game that nobody thought you were going to win, so nothing seems too big in that moment.
8: The city of Philadelphia draws its name from two Greek words. Philio meaning to love, and Adelphos, meaning brother. However, former Panthers player-turned-broadcaster Eugene Robinson knew all too well that fraternal love was elusive for outsiders. Fans, man, the fans
13: don't like you, dude. You know where you stand with Philly fans, dude. They don't like you. They love their team, and they don't like you. Even when we would play Philadelphia and I'm as a broadcaster, I would never fly my colors that I'm wearing. I never wore, like, Panther gear at all. Never did.
8: Not in Philly. Panthers play-by-play announcer Bill Rosinski says in Philadelphia – apparel who not reveal outside allegiance
3: leading up to going to philadelphia the people in the panthers organization a lot of staffers going to the game and they were told not to wear any panther shirts you know sweatshirts because you didn't know what the philly fans were going to do
8: long time panthers broadcaster jim zoki we went into
14: uh, one of the uh, downtown sports bars, and we had eight to ten of us there. And we walk in, and somebody yells from across the crowded bar, get the heck out of here. I'll insert heck. It's loud in there. So we turn around and kind of like, ah, smile. Go, I'm not kidding. Get the heck out of here. And I think it was the bartender. It was not a patron. We go in there, and now we feel like we might get into a street fight in this bar just for walking in in Panther gear. Because they think we're Panther fans visiting go sit in the stands and and be part of the game we finally muster up the uh the energy and gumption to sit down in the middle of this crowded bar and one of the tables talking next to us starts kind of joking around and laughing and whatever and then they figure out somewhere in the conversation we're the panthers broadcast crew and next thing after again they had lost the two previous nfc title games they're like hey you think we can beat you guys you guys are really good right like all of a sudden their tone changed because they knew like we're kind of like insiders that have a little bit more on the ball than just being like they're razzing some fans here
8: Panthers head coach, John Fox, had spent the previous five seasons in the NFC East as the Giants' defensive coordinator. Fox knew exactly what to expect in Philadelphia.
12: Anytime you travel in the NFL, you got to take a road warrior mindset, and that's there there's nobody rooting for us there. It's just it's just who we got right here. You know, some places are tougher to play than others and you know, Philly's one of those places uh where they're throwing stuff at you when you walk through the tunnel and uh you know, they hate
8: you. Before the game with the Eagles, Jordan Gross and the players saw birds of a different feather.
1: I remember we pull in it had been snowing recently, and so the fans were just pelting us with snowballs like crazy like just knocking the heck out of our bus with snowballs and i'll never forget this like an old grandma i mean gray-haired old lady double middle finger just flipping us off as we pulled into the stadium and i just was laughing thinking this is pretty dang cool that their fans care this much what an environment
8: while the players took the bus to the stadium jim zoki and the broadcast crew chose to ride with the locals
14: We take a train to go down to the game from the hotel. I'm thinking in my head, I am not going to wear my Panther gear to go into this underground subway train station just because I don't want the hassle. I don't want to talk. So I wear just a generic black coat, no hat. Nobody's wearing Panther gear. There's a guy down there selling Philadelphia Eagles gear. Everybody's going to the game. The destination of this train is to the game. They're all head to toe wearing Eagles gear. And he walks by, hats and beads, hats and beads, get your Eagles hats and beads. And he walks past us, stops, turns around, walks back to us and goes, I smell cat.
3: (laughs) Before the game, I'm in the press box, and one of the Philly writers came up to me. He said, you're the play-by-play guy, right? I said, yeah. And he looked at me dead serious. He said, do you honestly think that the Panthers can win this game today? And I looked at him and I said, "I said, yeah. I said, have you looked at our season? You know, this team somehow, some way, starting with the first game, has found a way in big moments to win football games." I said, "Definitely, yes."
8: The Panthers' journey to the NFC Championship was a roller coaster ride. It was a season defined by four overtime wins. Good
3: snap, kick by Casey's on the way. Up, up. Up and good! It's good! And the Panthers have pulled it out in overtime.
8: Late game comebacks.
3: Delon takes the snap and this is over. Uh-huh. The Carolina Panthers with a stunning come from behind. Final minute win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
2: Personal hardships. Just a few weeks earlier, you announced that when of your starting, linebackers has cancer. And here just a couple weeks later, your linebackers coach has cancer. And you're thinking... Holy cow, there are things more important than football. Soul-defining the moments.
11: All you can do with adversity and obstacles and difficulties is just to keep going along,
3: do what you do. It's like you just got to keep pounding.
8: And at times, improbable saviors.
3: Jake Delone at a quarterback for Carolina. Here's Delone, back to throw. Looks, looks, fires for Pro in the end zone. He got it!
8: Touchdown! But belief... Never blinked in the face of adversity. Hope always floated. Defensive lineman Al Wallace. We were a ragtag bunch of guys that did not know
15: we belonged in any of those games. So we were playing with house money. We just didn't know that we weren't supposed to hang with some of these teams that we faced. And we fought and we scrapped. And we believed John Fox. We believed in each
8: other. But in this season, hope was more than a metaphor, hope was real. Panthers offensive lineman, Kevin Donnelly. Hope
11: Stout was a legend, a Panther legend. She was a 12-year-old girl at the time that I was able to come across when I was at a Panther game, getting warmed up for the game. And she was on the sideline and uh, had a chance to meet her, meet her father, and uh, come to find out that she had osteosarcoma.
8: Hope Stout was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a type of bone cancer, in the summer of 2003. By November The cancer had spread, and Hope had been confined to a wheelchair.
11: It wasn't that that really made me bond with her so quick. It was just her love of the Panthers, and that's why I call her a Panther legend. She was there for the game. She wasn't worried about her health. The Richardson family had given them a a suite to sit in, and she was a 12-year-old that was way beyond her age because she's talking football with me like a 35-year-old fan.
8: Riley Fields is the Panthers' longtime director of community relations.
16: It really wasn't until December when she called in to the Keith Larson show in an interview that if you hear it and it does not move you, I, I don't know what moves you as, a, as an individual. All right.
17: Keith Larson here. And we have on the phone with us 12-year-old girl who had a big idea. This Hope Stout was given the opportunity to have a wish fulfilled by the Make-A-Wish people. And she said, I want to fulfill the wishes of the other people on your list, of the other kids on your list, basically. An amazing story. And the uh, Make-A-Wish people have decided that they're going to go ahead and do that. And in reading about this this morning and actually having have uh, been aware, to some extent, of Hope uh, previously. We just said, hey, it sure seems like Charlotte ought to be able to come up with this million bucks, as insane a thought as it is, yeah, maybe even by Christmas. So that's the story, and Hope Stout's on the phone. Hello, Hope.
0: Hello, how are you doing?
17: Uh, well, I'm doing uh, fine. I- I'm doing fine. Uh, thank you for being with us on WBT today. Thank you for having me on. Where did this thought come from?
0: Well, it just came from being in the hospital and getting my treatments, and I just saw all these other kids and they just seemed so happy in there and they just didn't know what was going on. They were just running around with their little IV poles and stuff and then I found out that some of them aren't nearly as lucky as me because I had my parents there by me 24-7 and some of them didn't have their parents there because they lived in another state or something and All they're just asking is just to meet Ronald McDonald or just go on a cruise or something. And it just seemed so easy to do. And it just broke my heart that some kids don't get the chance to do all this great stuff. Because I have that opportunity to go to, like, Cancun or something. And some of these kids just ask for so little. And they might not even have the chance to get it. And I just had to do something about that. I just couldn't live with myself knowing that this little kid's just asking for so little and maybe not getting the chance to get it.
8: Hope's wish was to grant the wishes of the other 155 kids on the waiting list. The cost of that would be close to a million dollars
11: just by that one radio broadcast was able to reach so much of Charlotte. People jumped on board from all over the place. And One of the coolest parts about it was, it was kids her age, you know, doing bake-a-thons and, and walk-a-thons and whatever they could do to raise money. And, and so many of these gifts were coming in uh, that were just really low amounts, but the sum of them all totaling up because all the people backing it and getting behind it really gave us a jump start of trying to reach that million-dollar goal.
8: In the playoff opener against Dallas, ABC reporter Lisa Guerrero Took Hope's story national.
3: Let's check in with Lisa Guerrero. Lisa.
16: Thanks very much, Al. Well, Panthers' right guard, Kevin Donnelly, was very much looking forward to the spotlight of tonight's game not for himself, not for his teammates, but for a 12-year-old girl by the name of Hope Stout. He met her earlier this season. She's been battling a rare form of bone cancer and has become an inspiration to him. Here's an example of her selflessness. When the Make-A-Wish Foundation asked her what she would like granted, she said she wanted the wishes granted of the other 155 children battling life-threatening illnesses in this region. The cost, about $1 million. Donnelly wants to help Help her raise it. So far, they've raised about four hundred thousand dollars. For information on how you can help, you can contact the Carolina Panthers. It
11: was such a full circle moment because you know originally she wanted to, to be in the spotlight and, and have some fame, if you will. But she put that all aside, her wants and needs for others, and it ultimately came back around where she got her story told nationally, frankly, to the world. And it just—it was—it was an amazing moment.
8: Director of Community Relations riley fields
16: the way this community embraced hope and how she was inspirational for our locker room and had personal connections to our locker room was a part of that fairy dust
8: while hope's prognosis worsened the prospects of fulfilling her wish grew brighter hope had helped plan a gala scheduled a few weeks after the playoff opener against Dallas.
16: It was Hope's event. She had been planning this, and it was a Hollywood theme and a red carpet theme.
8: But on the day after the playoff win against the Cowboys, Hope Stout passed away. Kevin Donnelly remembers.
11: I'd known that um, she was getting close, uh, and um, I kept in close contact with Stuart and Shelby Stout, uh, her, her wonderful parents, and they were keeping me updated on everything and had gone to a uh, midnight vigil that they, or a, a candlelit vigil, I should say, that they had at the house there just days before the game we were gonna play before Dallas, but I knew I was tired from the season, I was, you know, playoffs were coming, it was an important game, but I, I just, I had to be there. And um, and so it really hit me then. I mean, I'd, I broke down in tears, It, it, it but, I think in some way that moment and knowing that Hope was in that that second floor bedroom, um, still battling and holding on, it it gave me comfort then when I did hear the news and uh, felt like, um, you know, she came here, it was a short time, but man, she accomplished so much.
8: Hope's impact would continue to be felt. The gala would go on as planned. Two days before the NFC Championship at the Westin Hotel in Charlotte, more than a thousand people attended the celebration of hope. The goal was to raise a million dollars and grant the wish of every child on the Make-A-Wish Foundation's waiting list.
7: We're going to sell this right now, but sir, I've got him at 15000
17: Kevin says he'll give another one if you'll go 15000
3: too.
0: Yes! $30,000 here tonight, give him a hand. We just got the updated total. And as you know, the goal was $1 million. And in four weeks, Make-A-Wish has raised $1,116,000 in Hope's name. And they're still
16: counting. That night, the community came together. And the moment when it was revealed that the million-dollar mark had been crested, I mean, the entire ballroom was just... uh, everyone was crying but it, it was it was joyful it was sadness there's so much emotion that was built up but knowing that her wish had been fulfilled and kevin and the other offensive linemen they were at the event um they they supported you know what what the stout family was going through and it really created a, a it's a it's a special bond and it's it's a it will always be a special part of this organization because the, the team's rocket ship ride through December, through the playoffs, into the Super Bowl, um, was really in lockstep with the community embracing hope, her story, and trying to help her wish come true to help others.
8: Two days after the gala, armed with hope, belief, and the NFL's best defense, the Panthers took aim at Philadelphia.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Carolina Panther playoff football. It's the third postseason game for the Panthers, and as the the case is in the postseason, they get bigger and bigger. And tonight, the winner gets to go to Houston in two weeks to play the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl.
8: The game time temperature was 33 degrees with a wind chill of 22. Perfect conditions for John Fox.
12: Well, he just wanted to sport in the game. And to do that, you've got to be able to run the ball and play defense. And, you know, and it's, it's tough nature. You know, we're going to bring our big boy pads, and, and we're going to show them what toughness is.
3: McNabb again is back to pass. Deep drop, sets up. Oh, there's a sack. Back to pass McNabb, and they got him for a sack. Another blitz is coming. Sacked at midfield.
8: While Carolina's defense set the tone, it was Musin Muhammad that quieted the vaunted Philly crowd.
3: The back to throw looks, looks, nobody open. Heaves it downfield for Muhammad in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! What a great catch by Musin Muhammad!
8: After Muhammad's touchdown, he got down on one knee, raised one finger to his face mask, and made the universal sign for silence. A moment that would later
4: adorn the cover of Sports Illustrated. People ask me, man, did you know right where the camera guy was or something? Where you no, I, I really didn't. I think they found me. It wasn't hard to find out there in the middle of the field in that you know that cold uh, January day. After the shush by Moose,
8: Philly fans lost much of the remaining mojo when star quarterback Donovan McNabb Took a major hit.
3: First and 10 Philly at the Carolina 23-yard line. Panthers are showing blitz and here they come. McNabb is sacked. They brought him down back at the 33-yard line. I think McNabb was hurt.
5: Donovan McNabb gets tackled and somebody on our team falls on him and he cracks a rib. And I'll be honest with you, the air went out the building.
8: Carolina led 7-3 late in the first half when the Eagles got close to midfield.
3: And the Eagles are now faced with a third down coming up. Third and seven from their 43. No huddle. McNabb. Here comes a blitz by Cousin. Floats it downfield. Manning. Did he pick it off? He did. Ricky Manning with a beautiful play.
8: Come on, man. Yeah. Jump that. Get that. Veteran Mike Minter had become a mentor to rookie Ricky Manning during the 2003 season.
7: Well, it was a big brother, right? seven years in the league, and, and you know, I've done it, and um, you know, seen a lot. And most rookies don't know the game, and so you know, I, that's what I would just tell him: man, just listen to what I, what I'm about to tell you, and, and then go make that play. Cause
8: I mean, he was talented. It just rookies don't have the information or the knowledge. The week prior, it was Manning's interception that set up the game-winning touchdown in St. Louis. Philadelphia on a day when the Panthers leading receiver only had three catches Manning equaled that total while playing defense
3: McNabb short drop looks it's a slant Manning picks that off Ricky Manning McNabb in the pocket plenty of time down the middle of the field it goes it's batted in the air it's picked off by Ricky Manning Ricky Manning coming back the other way he's to the 37 yard line Oh my goodness! Mike Minner laid out the receiver as the ball got there, and the ball floated in the air. There was Ricky Manning with three interceptions today. Oh my goodness! We're looking at
7: McNabb and the things he liked to throw, and we just knew that they didn't throw the ball out. And they always want to break in, and uh, and so that was that was the telltale. Man, we was beating them up.
12: For a guy, you know, in his rookie year to have three picks in the championship game, I mean, I don't know how many times, if any, that's ever happened. He, he was mature for his age, you know, as
8: far as uh, how he prepared. Panthers radio analyst Eugene Robinson. He was a really good That you you got to have really good feet. you got to have good feet and you better have good hands. And Ricky had a combination of both. He could catch the ball. The Panthers defense spared its teeth all night. They finished with five sacks and four interceptions. Still, it was a 7-3 game until late in the third. First and goal, Carolina
3: from the one of Philly. Hoover in motion to the right. Pitch to Foster trying to turn the far side. Gets over Hoover. Bounces off a tackle. Still keeps the legs turning and dives towards the end zone. Touchdown! Oh, my goodness! Deshaun Foster on a play that took a minute and a half was able to get into the end zone as he kept stretching it outside, bouncing off tacklers, and he gets a touchdown. He just kept
14: the legs going, bouncing after one defender after another. I mean, just he refused to go down. 14-3 to 3 felt huge in that moment. Like, is this really happening? Is this team really not too many minutes away from getting to their first Super Bowl?
3: Just the effort, Foster, Hoover, the offensive line. That's why this team was so good. That's why they made it to the Super Bowl. And DeLome takes a knee, and guess what? The improbable season for the Carolina Panthers continues. Yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl, and we're in it. We're going to Houston in two weeks to play the New England Patriots for the championship of the National Football League.
8: When the Panthers arrived back in Charlotte in the wee hours of the morning, a hero's welcome awaited.
1: It blew my mind how many fans were at the stadium when we got home that night. Like, it it was absolutely crazy how excited
3: people were that we were going to the Super Bowl. The crowd was electric. A few thousand people jammed into the middle of town. You know, this is not a wine and cheese crowd. These are avid fans, and when things are going well, you have their unbridled support and attention.
5: It was insane. I never forget watching grown men cry. Like Kevin Donnelly, and he knew that was probably his last year. But seeing him when we're going to take a knee, and just just seeing those emotions, and like a uh, uh, Chris Mangum that draft seventh rounder, drafted here, still here. You know, was the in essence a backup tight end, getting an opportunity to start, and there was you know a, a cast off Ricky Pro, nobody wanted him anymore. A little sought off third round receiver that everybody thought was a special teamer, and Steve Smith, you know Stephen Davis, it, it just kind of one of those deals, and yeah, man, it was. It was
8: fabulous. The Carolina Panthers were in the Super Bowl. One hundred and fifty-five children had their wishes fulfilled. Against stacked odds, hope prevailed. In their ninth season of existence, the Carolina Panthers had reached the doorstep of football El Dorado, the Super Bowl. The game would be played in Houston, Texas. And for rookie offensive tackle Jordan Gross, the Texas-sized magnitude of the game was palpable. Each game
1: in the in the playoffs, the media attention grows. So like, you know, regular season game, you got your local guys and maybe one national beat writer or whatever. As it goes on, by the time you get to the NFC Championship game, there's a lot more media every day at practice and all that stuff. Well, then when you're going to the Super Bowl, I mean, it's even – you know, twice or four times as much as it is for the NFC Championship game. All week at practice, there was tons of attention and a lot of media requests, independently for all of us from you know local radio, radio back home, whatever. And then you're trying to figure out the tickets and who's going to come to the game and all of those things. And it was—I I remember it being two weeks long. So when we were able to take off and head to head to Houston, it kind of felt like a relief because all right, we got all that previous work done. Now we can focus on the game.
8: The Panthers would face the AFC champion Patriots in Super Bowl XXXVIII. New England authored a 14-2 regular season, the best mark in the NFL. Head coach Bill Belichick was in his third season at the helm, and a 26-year-old Tom Brady was in season four. Longtime Panthers broadcaster Jim Zoki.
14: It was, you know, earlier in their run, obviously. They'd won one, but it's like they were not, you know, like the perennial champions at that point. So they were good, but they were not, like, over-the-top intimidating like they would become.
1: At that time, you know, Tom Brady had already won a Super Bowl. Nowhere near the aura that he has, you know, now or later in his career. So you weren't as scared of Tom Brady. But you knew that that team and Belichick were just quite dynamic They'd, they'd won two years earlier, and we knew it was going to be a tough matchup, but we, we felt confident that we could beat those guys.
8: The fear factor with that New England team came from its defense.
1: Ted Washington's the biggest dude I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, he had to weigh 400 pounds. I mean, he was massive dude, and then I was going against Willie McGinnis, you know, long-bodied guy, veteran guy, and Mike Vrabel, and then Teddy Bruschi, and Roman Pfeiffer, and Very, very talented.
8: Defensive end,
15: Al Wallace. Their defense was where they hung their head. It wasn't Tom Brady. It wasn't that offense. We felt confident at that point that, I mean, we can go in and compete with anybody. And if they messed around and let us hang around, the Cardiac Cats were going to pop up in Houston.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Carolina Panther Playoff Football. We have reached the ultimate game. This is it. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And all the hype, all the hoopla leads to what will take place in front of us over the next three hours. The Carolina Panthers are in the Super Bowl. A good friend of mine, a coach in this league many years ago, said NFL stands for not for long. And trust me, the Panthers would agree with that because just two years ago, this team lost 15 in a row. And they were the worst team in the NFL. (laughs) But just two years later, after John Fox was hired as head coach and instilled his system and his belief that this team can win, here they are in the ultimate championship game of any sport, Super Bowl 38.
8: For all the hype and hoopla of a Super Bowl, the game, at least early on, lacked helium. Sluggish, slow... No offense.
3: Stephen Davis with the football, looking for a hole up the middle. Forget it.
14: Especially from the Panthers' side, they could not get anything going on the offensive side whatsoever.
3: Stallone in the pocket. Down. Some heat. Sat. Down he goes. Stallone in the pocket. Feeling some heat. Avoids one passer. No going down.
1: Man, we couldn't run the ball. We couldn't pass the ball. Uh, I just, it was tough, tough, tough sledding. And, you know, definitely doubt would slip in because you're just going, man, I can't get anything going here. Davis
3: with the football. Trying to find a hole up the middle and not much running room there. Cook out the steam sniff on the far side. Stiff arms one tackle, but he's only able to get up to the line of scrimmage. Maybe one more. Depends on the spot. Here's DeLome in the pocket. Rolls to his right. Pumps one, Scrambles in trouble. Nope. He avoids the sack. And now he's going to throw it away. And he was outside the pocket and then hammered to the turf by Ty Warren, number 94. No flag. And the Panthers again will have to punt the football and no one's getting open.
13: Frustrating. Those possessions the first, it was absolutely frustrating. I was thinking about, dude, we gotta go ahead and punt this ball out. If we don't do nothing else but punt, that's a win. My football eyes are going, oh man, just, just don't make any mistakes, man, and live the play another day and get this ball out of territory.
3: Draw play to Foster bounces off one tackle, and then he's pushed back by the New England defense. And a gain of two yards, but that's all.
9: It was a chess match. We weren't able to move the football. They weren't able to move the football. We were,
14: you know, we did a little bit. They did a little bit. It just felt like we might get shut out. Credit again to the defense. Defense wasn't giving up any points here either.
3: Snap, a little low. Placement, Vinateri's kick is on the way, and it is no good. 36-yard field goal, try right hash mark by Vinatieri. Snap, placement, kick is blocked. The ball rolling into the goal, down around the goal line. And the Panthers have stopped
6: the Patriots again. The defense is balling. I think that that was two balanced teams. I mean, sometimes you'll see a team that, you know, their defense is really good, like uh, Baltimore. Uh, When they won their first one with Ray Lewis, like their defense was just shut out. Offense was okay. You just just don't turn it over. And then you'll see some other offenses where they're just lighting the board up. But maybe the defense, you know, it's
8: a shootout. I feel like you saw two teams that were well-balanced. Super Bowl 38 remained scoreless for almost 27 minutes until the Panthers blinked. Third and 11,
3: Carolina from their 25, moving left to right. No score. alone in the pocket. Watch out. Oh, he's hit. Has had a fumble. Loose ball at the 20. And they're going to say New England's got it. It's funny
1: when those plays happen because the, in the NFC Championship game when the defense has something like that happen, well, the whole stadium erupts and, you know, there's music and all that stuff. Well, in a Super Bowl, it's like a neutral crowd, right? So it wasn't as giant as a reaction from the fans as it, it would have been if it was a home or away game, anything like that. But just, oh, crap, that's not good. Fortunately, our defense had been playing so well all year that I didn't think that it was just all for naught. You know, the game was over, but definitely knew that we would, we had been the first ones to kind of flinch and give them a favorable situation.
13: Those are the plays that turn games around. Those are the plays that when you go to the sideline, okay, all right, there's always have to be a galvanizing moment. That play was a galvanizing moment for the Patriots because now they're like this, okay, all right, now we're ready. They, they about to, they about to feel the sting of us. That we, we ready, and that changes things. And so now defensively, on the sideline, look at their sideline and look at our sideline. It's gonna be totally two different things. Our defense will be talking about, all right, let's get ready, guys. Let's go. We gotta go out there. Let's get over We got we gotta go do that, right? And, and this sideline like, okay, we got him, baby. <laughs> That's what we've been waiting for. It's about to break. Here's come the dyke's about to break.
3: And it's first and goal, New England moving right to left at the Carolina five-yard line. Smith the lone running back as Tom Brady barks out his call. Play action fake throws over the middle. Wide open. Touchdown. Dion Branch. Right in the middle of the end zone. And the Patriots are on the board first.
8: While New England took the early 7-0 lead, there was no panic for Jake DeLone and the Panthers.
5: Dan Henning was so prophetic leading up to that game. I mean, he basically played out to us in meetings exactly how the game was going to play out. Men, I'm just telling you, the first quarter, it's going to be tough sledding. They were so big and so good on defense. He said, it's going to be like trying to run into a brick wall. We're just going to have to stick with it. Just keep it close, stick with it. Second quarter. In Dan's words, he goes, those big fat boys are going to get tired. He said, we're going to start to get something, and we'll get some points.
3: Two receivers to the right, split backs behind DeLong. He's under center, Jeff Mitchell. Takes the snap. In the pocket he goes. Downfield, he throws it up for Steve Smith, and he's got it! Touchdown, Carolina! Steve Smith beat Tyrone Poole down the far sideline. Perfect throw by Jake DeLong. And the Panthers are on the board!
8: Steve Smith's game-tying touchdown came less than two minutes after New England opened the scoring. Both offenses had woken up.
3: Second and ten Patriots from their 34. Brady will again work shotgun. Here comes a blitz up the middle. Brady rolls, stops, fires deep downfield. Got a man there. Caught at the 20. And down to the 50 yard line, it's Deion Branch. Brady, play action, throws over the middle, touchdown.
8: The Pats led 14-7 with less than 20 seconds to go in the first half. But the Panthers had one more roar before halftime.
3: First down, and it's a running play up the middle. Foster, big hole. And is Davis to the 35, to the 31. Call timeout, they do. From the left hash mark, 50-yard field goal drive. Snap placement, Casey's kick is up. It is! score. John Casey at the end of the half and the Panthers are within four.
8: The two teams combined for 24 points in the last three minutes and five seconds of the first half. Carolina trailed 14 to 10 at the break. As the players cleared the field, Jessica Simpson kick-started the halftime festivities. But Simpson had little to do with the next day's halftime headline.
13: Janet's Super Bowl halftime performance made news around the world. The FCC received more than 500,000 complaints about that broadcast. CBS was fined $550,000, and then the NFL was asked to refund the $10 million that they had been given to the halftime show sponsor.
1: That is the landmark that I use though to tell people what Super Bowl I was in. They'd say, yeah, what Super Bowl were you in? I was like, ah, the one with Janet Jackson, you know. And, oh yeah, okay, yep, that's right. You, I know the one. <laughs> First
4: of all, I have to ask you, was it planned, Janet? No, it was not planned. well? well What people don't understand is
0: he was to take and rip the piece off that he did. The letter piece. Right, but more
1: came off than what was
8: supposed to. With the phrase wardrobe malfunction in the pop culture waiting the room, Jordan Gross witnessed another disturbance right before the third quarter kickoff.
1: A guy came on there dressed like an official and then ripped his clothes off down to his like a little speedo and had an advertisement for GoldenPalace.com, which was like an online betting thing, one of the first ones. So there was a little bit of everything, man. It was a wild time.
8: The third quarter mirrored the first. Neither team scored. But with less than a minute to go in the quarter, the Patriots looked poised to extend their lead.
3: All right, Patriots back at the line. It's the Carolina 42, second down, 12 yards to go for a New England first down of the final minute of the third quarter of Super Bowl 38. Play action fake, Brady throws right down the middle of the field, caught at the 20. It's the tight end of the 10, caught at the eight-yard line. First and goal, New England.
8: Safety Mike Minter made the tackle on that play but paid an enormous price. When I hit him
7: at the, about the five-yard line, my foot slipped in that grass, slippery turf field that Houston had, and, and um, it, it broke at that time. And and, and I remember coming to the sideline, I said, man, I broke my foot, and they was like, what? Broke your foot? And they were about to take my shoe off.
8: I said, no, don't take it off, just tape it up. I'm, I'm gonna finish this game. I'm not coming out to see. Minter would play the rest of the series and the rest of the game. When the plays were going on, I didn't feel the broken foot. When
7: the play was over, that's when I felt it. It was like some excruciating pain that went through your body um, after every freaking snap, man. So it's a mind over matter. So when people say that you, your mind can go um, to places um,
8: your body will follow. When the fourth quarter started, the Patriots led 14-10 to 10 And had the ball on the Panthers' two-yard line.
3: First and goal from the two. Brady's going to hand off. Smith, right side, two. One touchdown, New England. Antoine Smith, and they mob him in the corner of the end zone, and that was real easy.
8: Antoine Smith's touchdown gave the Pats a 21-10 lead. But Mike Rucker and the Cardiac Cats had lived this movie before. I'm telling you the
6: honest truth. There was no panic. There was no panic until the clock hits double zero. We had been through all these situations already, and so we felt very comfortable, feel totally
8: confident that you put us out there and we can get the job done. There was still almost an entire quarter to play. Carolina's offense had now worn down New England's defense, and the fourth quarter is where the Panthers excelled. Quarterback Jake DeLome.
5: We kind of loosened up. We started doing two-minute throwing the ball all over the place, and and I think confidence. We we were a confident football team, and once that started, you know, from Moose to Ricky to Steve, uh, you know, it was the same cast of characters. Like, this is no big deal. This is what we. This is who we
12: are. This is what we do.
8: Head coach. John Fox.
12: Well, we just opened it up. I mean, Dan Henning did a great job. He went no huddle. I mean, so we uh, that opened the game up. I thought uh, that was a great move by our coaching staff, and uh, you know, it, it definitely changed the game.
1: It was like, okay, here we go. We're going to win this thing because I could feel it building. Like it had earlier in the season at multiple times.
3: Here's DeLone back to throw with time. Flushed out of the pocket to the left, still looking to throw. Now heaves it upfield for Smith, who's got it, and stayed in bounds at the 45-yard line. I don't know how he caught that ball. Coloma work under center this time. Second and 10 from his own 45. In the pocket. Downfield it goes, up for Smith, he's got it at the New England 35-yard line. Tackled at the 32, and it's another first down. DeLome again will work out of the shotgun, 2nd and 10 Carolina from the 33. He's got the ball, draw play, Deshaun Foster running left at the 30, breaks a tackle, breaks another one at the 20, sideline 10, 5, Foster dives in the end zone, touchdown Panthers! What an incredible run by Deshaun Foster! Broke a tackle at the line, turned it outside left, 33 yards.
5: He's absolutely electric. Quick 31 trap was the play. Just to see him kind of bounce and he takes off, and I'm like, man, he's gonna score. And all of a sudden he dives, and I think that's one of the coolest poses I've ever seen on a run when he just dives and he hangs the ball out in the air with that with that
13: arm. This dude just got a 33 yard run, a touchdown, dude. He just let everybody know that. I know y'all, everybody's talking about Stephen Davis. He's a guy but guess
8: who I am? Down 21-16, the Panthers decided to try for a two-point conversion.
3: Panthers break the huddle. DeLome under center. It's 21-16. And here's DeLome back to throw. Plenty of time. Throws over the middle. And Muhammad was open in the back of the end zone. Right over the P and Patriots. And they missed it. Key for Pu. That that throw is late, though, because Muhammad was open.
12: We had two point plays there. We just we just missed them. And uh, like anything, you know, it's a, it's a great call until it's not. It's only good when
14: it works. And so the the, the risk reward is when it doesn't work out. Now you're chasing those points. I think that, you know they they felt like it's the Super Bowl. Let's go for it.
5: Gosh, chasing points are difficult sometimes. It's so easy to say now. You kind of wish uh, you just take the points, take the points, and see what happens in the end. But. You know, I guess at that point, the chart, you play in the book, whatever
3: the chart said.
8: The Patriots still led by five and had another chance to go up two scores.
3: So now it is third and goal New England from the nine-yard line. Falk is the running back. Brown in motion, far side left. Brady in the pocket to throw. Heaves it up towards the end zone, intercepted. Reggie Howard coming up field to the 5, to the 10-yard line. They finally got pressure on Brady, and he forced it. And there was Reggie Howard to pick it off.
5: Shocking, Tom, through a red zone interception. It was a bad play by him, which we don't see. And undrafted, out of Memphis, Reggie Howard, former practice squad, teammate of mine with the Saints. Um, So Reggie gets the pick, and here we are. We get another chance.
13: They should go ahead and score,
6: and they don't. They don't score, and then we get the ball. This is where the game changes. It's just something special about an interception because, like, you are actually taking the ball away. That's fun to get the sack, right? But when you're taking the ball away, there's very few feelings like that because we know that we're in this big game and that we're giving our offense a
8: chance to put points on the board. Uh, Big interception. That That was huge. That was huge. Four plays later, the Panthers stared at a 3rd and 10 from their own 15-yard line. So a
3: huge play here for the Carolina offense. And it's this type of play in the fourth quarter with their team down. Jake DeHolme has been making all year long. Foster has come in as the running back. Muhammad and Kroll are out wide, near side left. Steve Smith wide right. Here's the 3rd and 10 call. Play action. DeHolme back to throw. Nobody open. Now sets out. Oh, deep it. downfield for Muhammad. He's got it at the 30! He's to the 20! Stephon's a tackler! To touchdown! Touchdown, Carolina! <laughs> oh, oh my it. goodness! 85 yards! Wow.
8: See how easy it is? Mousin Muhammad's 85-yard touchdown catch is still the longest touchdown reception in Super Bowl history. It gave the Panthers their first lead of the game. Carolina was seven minutes and six seconds from a Super Bowl win. You're feeling really confident at this point. The way you're putting points up on the board, you're feeling
14: like New England's lost it. The Panthers have figured it out. Whatever it is they were doing in the first half, it's gone. The Panthers are exploiting them in the passing game. Uh, Carolina is back in this, and not only back in it, they're going to win this dang thing. I'm thinking, we're going to win.
13: We're going to win a Super Bowl. We were too good offensively and defensively. We've in these tough games all year long. It's going to swing our way because guess what? We've been in the trenches and we've been there.
1: I thought we would win. I really did. Our defense was very, very good. Offensively, you know, we kind of felt like we were starting to get our groove. We had you know, good special teams. I was feeling pretty comfortable with where we were at. As the season had gone on and so many overtime wins, I just didn't think that there was any way we were going to let this one get away from us.
4: I mean, we're cardiac cats. We're going to win this game.
8: With the Panthers ahead, 22-21, John Fox once again tried a two-point conversion.
3: Goings in the backfield. Goes in motion right. Here's DeLone. Back to throw. Short drop. Looks. Floats it. Up for Dyson. Missed him.
8: When New England got the ball back, they turned to Tom Brady.
3: Second and seven, Patriots in the Carolina forty-seven. Brady has the snap from the shotgun, rolls to the near side right, he'll throw down field, and it's caught, breaking a tackle, and then out of bounds, David Gibbons, and New England has the ball at the Carolina 23-yard line.
14: You talk about Jake DeLum being clutch, Tom Brady invented that. I mean, it's just like, if he's known for anything, it's being a clutch performer, not only being one of the greatest of all times, but also part of that being winning games in the clutch fourth quarter overtime situations like that he built that reputation in in seasons and in games uh, like that one against the panthers
3: third down brady out of the shotgun rolling near side right steps up and throws and it is caught at the five yard line and stepping out of bounds at the three here they come ball just outside the one second and goal brady play action back to throw over the middle touchdown patriots
8: New England tacked on a two-point conversion to take a 29-22 lead with less than three minutes to go. For the Cardiac Cats, this was a familiar feeling. Quarterback Jake Delome. We were very comfortable in the two minute
5: situation. We knew we were going down to score. I mean that that was it. I I know I keep saying that, but that's what the mentality of that team was. Yeah, we're going down. We're going to score.
3: No huddle, shotgun. Second and one running play. Foster looking for a hole. He's got it. To the 35, to the 36, and a first down. DeLome out of the shotgun. No huddle. Up the throw. Downfield it goes. He's got Muhammad open at the Patriot 45 and out of bounds along the near sideline. First and ten, Carolina. DeLome under center. Foster's his running back. Play action, the to pass. With time, downfield, he's got pro at the 20. Ricky Kroll to the 15 to the 14-yard line.
8: Down by seven, the Panthers had the ball at the Patriots' 12-yard line.
5: 72-Reno. It's the exact same play that we scored to be Jacksonville on. First game of the season.
8: The win against the Jaguars in week one put the Panthers on a five-month cardiac quest. That was the game in which Jake DeLome came off the bench and conjured the first of many comebacks.
3: Fires for Prohl in the end zone. He got it! Touchdown!
8: Now, with the Panthers down seven in the waning moments of the Super Bowl, DeLome dialed up Ricky Proll once more.
3: Panthers go without a huddle. Shotgun formation.
5: That was the beauty of what we did 2 minute offense is that we could run all the same plays over and over again, but you just, wherever you ended up on the pl- previous play, you just stayed in that position. So in essence, everybody had to know all four positions, and that's what was so good about our guys.
3: The is ready. He's got the ball and back to throw. You could tell they were
5: coming with all-out pressure, and I felt very comfortable making that throw to Ricky. Ricky wasn't going to cut it short. He was going to do the Ricky Pro two-step, as he used to like to call it.
3: Looks, floats it in the end zone, wide open, touchdown Carolina! Ricky Pro. <laughs> Unbelievable! Yes, and he was wide open. Kyle, snap. Here's the placement. Casey's kick. He's got it. We're all tied. We're tied in the 38th Super Bowl, 29 apiece with a minute eight to go in the fourth quarter. And the Panthers have never given up. All season long, they've never given up. And here they're down 21 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and suddenly we're all tied again.
8: Carolina had been involved in seven games decided by three points or less. The Panthers had won them all. Many of those wins came on the leg of John Casey.
7: Without John Casey, we're not even talking about the 2003 Carolina Panthers.
3: And Casey will kick off right to left. Here's the boot. Oh, no. Uh-oh. It was out of bounds. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness, John Casey can't believe what he just did.
6: The ball was illegally kicked off out of bounds. It will be placed at the 40-yard line. England's ball, first down.
3: It's like putting your tee shot in the woods on the 18th tee box.
2: Panthers team historian David Monroe. John got an unfair shake. Everybody wants to talk about the kickoff that went out of bounds. We could sit here and I can call up 10 plays from the game that if if they had gone a different way, it doesn't come down to that kick. You just heard a gasp from the crowd.
5: But honestly, my mind went to, okay, our defense is going to stop them. And when they go to kick a field goal, we're going to block it. I mean, that's really and truly, I don't know if that's just being so naive, but that's kind of what the thought process was following
4: this team.
1: They still had to score. It's not like you kick a ball out of bounds and the other team automatically gets points. You know, there's a whole follow-up series that has to happen. So no, no panic there. Just Tom Brady, you know, we now know how great he is in those situations. He just went down the field and kicked our butt.
8: The Patriots started the drive at their own 40-yard line with all three timeouts. Two plays later, New England crossed midfield But then the Panthers got a break.
3: Two timeouts left for New England. Brady back to throw. Floats it downfield. Brown's got it. Flag on the play. And who's it going to be on? Terry Cousins says he was pushed off. And that's the call. Offensive pass interference. Good call. And Terry called it first.
8: (laughs) The penalty backed up the Patriots to their own 43 with less than a minute to go.
3: Brady will work out of the shotgun this time. Here comes the blitz. Brady's gonna go near sideline to Brown at the 45 to the 50. Come on, you gotta push him back, and they do. But he gets to the 47-yard line as he beat Ricky Manning that time. Branch out to the right, two receivers left. Brady will work shotgun from his own 43. First and 20, and Brady's gonna roll to the far side. Look, fire downfield, that's caught. Great catch in traffic at the Carolina 45. There were a few situations on that drive where the Panthers could've gotten off the field. You know, maybe if they brought more pressure, they would have affected Brady. Well,
7: I, I mean, I, I don't know, right? It's a situation where, and you know, do you go after Brady and then give an opportunity for this guy to, to have a one-on-one situation with somebody, you know, or do you go to your, you know, what people would call Tampa two? It's a defense
15: that, um, you know, we made it to the Super Bowl alone. You trust Mike Turgavac. You trust the guys to make the calls. They had gotten us there all year. So we don't second guess whether or not we should have been pressuring Tom Brady. We had a responsibility to try to get to Tom Brady. And although we got to him and we hit him and you knock him on the ground, we knew he didn't like that. but. Of course, if you're playing zone, late in the game, the guy is who he is for a reason. He has 17 of those things for a reason, and he found a way to pick us apart and, and find some, some soft spots in the zone.
3: Brady out of the shotgun. He's got the ball. Pressure, throws near sideline, caught. Big catch at the 24. Deion Branch again. And New England with eight seconds left to call a timeout. Timeout New England, that's their third and final timeout.
8: Deion Branch's reception gave New England the ball at the Carolina 23-yard line. Mike Minter, playing with a broken foot, nearly broke up the pass.
7: Yeah, with a healthy foot, I'm breaking on that ball quicker, um, and um, definitely either picking that ball off because it it felt like it was floating to me, um, and um, or um, knocking it down, so yeah, I do. I think I think about that every day, man, to be honest with you. Um, it's, a, it's a thing where I'm saying, man, I think if I got a healthy foot, uh, man, I, I might be in the history books a different way.
13: Dude, Mike never told me he was playing with a broken foot. You shouldn't even be in the picture with a broken foot. He read the play perfectly.
8: The Patriots were set up. With nine seconds left and the game tied, Adam Vinatieri had a 41-yard field goal try, but he had already missed one kick and the Panthers had blocked another.
3: Oh, can we block another one? Snap. Kick is out on the way by Vinatieri. Dead, solid, perfect. Four seconds left. And New England has the lead, 32-29. to He
5: hit it. I'm telling you, you're going to think I'm insane. I looked at Steve, and I, I went to him. and was like, hey, this is it. You're running it back. There's no question. Like, this is our – we're winning. Some – we're like, we're winning. Yeah, Steve's going to run it back.
3: Vinatieri ready to kick off from his 30. From left to right. Clock doesn't start until the ball's touched deep end over end Rod smarts coming out here's the last play 10 smart to the sideline 20 at the 20 and it's over and the New England Patriots have won the Super Bowl what a valiant effort by the Carolina Panthers they did everything but win this game trailing 21 to 10 in the fourth quarter They actually had the lead, 22-21. But it was just too much for them to stop Tom Brady and company on their final drive. What an absolute, what a a valiant effort by this Panthers ball club.
13: I tell you, with the offense, I thought you responded. Defense got a little bit lax, but they did a great job of
3: bouncing back and fighting all through this game. It was a tremendous season. And believe me, back in July, who was thinking that the Panthers would get to the Super Bowl? But they got here with a blue collar team, guys who left their egos at the door, and were the epitome of what a team is in this league. No superstars, 53 guys who hung together all season long, and they lose by three in the biggest game of the year. NFL films,
1: has a pretty good shot of me kind of walking off the field looking dejected as the confetti's flying behind me, you know, from from them. And just, I mean, it's not the most eloquent, but just this sucks, <laughs> you know? You, we just lost the Super Bowl, you know? Like, that's not how this was supposed to go. Um, and also, you know, shortly thereafter, there's some relief as you kind of come down from all of that. You're like, wow, that was a lot. That was a lot of season. That was a lot of game. That was a lot of emotion.
12: Well, I remember walking out of the Stadium with my oldest son, Matt, and he was crying. And I said, honey, what's wrong? And he goes, I wanted this one for Sam. Every
7: single time NFL game come on, or if I see the Patriots, or if I see Tom Brady, or if I see Belichick, you know, and you got to imagine me now coaching I'm always getting asked about the game. So, I'm thinking about the game pretty much almost every day.
4: To me, we were going to be back in the Super Bowl next year and the year after that and the year after that. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was lost on me, but, you know, the ride was the ride was great.
1: I really thought that we'd get a chance to be back there. We just had a good young team and but we never got it done.
8: In Roger Kahn's classic The Boys of Summer, the story of the 1950s Brooklyn Dodgers, there's a memorable line in the beginning. You may glory in a team triumphant, but you fall in love with the team in defeat. The cardiac cats ultimately came up one heartbeat short. There would be no name engraved on the Lombardi trophy. Instead, the Panthers etched their names in the hearts of a city and its fans.
12: Big moment for Charlotte and Carolina Panthers. A lot of people in Charlotte, the Panthers were their second favorite team. Well, I think after that, I think, you know, people in Charlotte, Panthers started becoming their first favorite team.
9: It was the Cardiac
12: Cats. It was
9: a nail biter white knuckling, you could not leave the room because so many different things can happen.
1: It's amazing how well we'll remember the Cardiac Cats, the personality of that team, something I'm forever grateful to be a part of.
15: The legacy is keep pounding. It was coined before that playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. We played that way all year before Sam Mills gave, gave us that, but it is about a team that uh, was built and put together on a bunch of second, third, last
6: chance, guys we were the first to be able to bring that type of joy to the Carolinas, and uh still it gives me goosebumps when people come up and you know they were like hey i was 10 years old and you know blah 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 you know to me that's what the sport's about for me to tell my stories and for them to also tell me their stories because i want to know what they were doing how did they see that how did they see that play how'd they see that win And I think that that's the joy that I get now in the phase of my life.
4: The standard. The standard in every way. The standard in terms of chemistry, the standard in terms of fun, the standard in terms of what it means to win, what it means to battle, never lose, keep pounding. In the face of adversity
8: and improbable odds, the Cardiac Cats taught us to keep believing, to keep pushing, to keep trying, and of course... Keep! Andy! Keep!
3: Andy! Fires for throwing the end zone. He got it! Touchdown! Big hole down the sideline. He's gone! And the Panthers are going to pull another one out of their head. Dives towards the end zone. Touchdown! Fires over the middle. Is that intercepted? Yes! It is up. It is good! Panthers have won it in overtime. Smith at the 45 to the 40. It's six free! The... The... 20, 10. Yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl, and we're in it.
13: Cardiac. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance
16: fishing gear.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack